Rex Pod, and uh, this week I have James Ellis, the host of the Hermetics Podcast, and uh, Meta Nomad on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, he's going to go over his uh, well, two underrated uh, TV shows, uh, three books that are some of his favorites that are underrated, and uh, three hidden gem films, which aren't there. That's probably your least obscure uh, titles uh, of the of the three, but they're all ones that I like. So I, I figured why not, why not, why not let the man speak and uh, we'll cover those, those two. Um, so yeah, so I was just saying uh, that uh, your podcast is, I don't really know because it's not, it's a little bit, it, it shouldn't necessarily be in my wheelhouse as much as, as it is. And because I don't really know, uh, I'm not really familiar with the topics that you speak about kind of French philosophy and uh uh, French writers and, and uh, esoteric stuff. I'm really only familiar with it because of you. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm in the minority of your listeners there, but I think that's, uh, I think that's the uh, the majority, really. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think um, people people come for like the episode that they recognize, and then um, I, I've had a lot of people say that they they're happy to listen to whatever. Um, I've tried to sculpt it in a way that's everything is accessible, even if like you have no clue about that thing before jumping in, like you should be fine. Otherwise I just find, uh, you know, who, who are you catering for? Like if it's super, super accessible and beginners, I think most people can pick that up, but if it's super elitist, you're never, you just sort of, uh, um, patting your own back. Right. So it has to be that in between. I know many podcasts do that. That's why I made it because it's like, a lot of people just want to talk about the thing they like and, basically be like oh look how smart i am i can drop all these big fancy words in um i just don't like that i've never liked that so yeah that's probably why i think no yeah and you do you do you do really you do really great job of kind of um you you know getting out of your guests way and and they have they have the enthusiasm to talk about the subject and and but then also kind of reining them in and, and yeah and you do make it uh you do make it accessible and uh like i said whether you're talking about pension or you know other authors that probably are more what i'm interested in, in david foster wallace or cormac mccarthy but then i find myself you know sticking around for the whatever the bataille and the, the guy that was going over ted kaczynski and and uh and then even, I think John Michael Greer, I think he's probably on, he's one of the guys that is probably on other people's podcasts or is maybe a little bit more, I feel he's more out and about than, than some of the other guys you have on, but, uh, but it's a wide array and it's, uh, I don't know, it has, it has something that keeps me coming back. And at first, at first I thought it was just the really nice uh, kind of graphics and, and layout and everything like that. But I think, I think, there, I think there is kind of a quality because we're going to start talking about TV shows here. I think there is kind of a quality that your podcast has of you kind of, despite the varied topics, you, you know exactly kind of what you're going to get. And I think that's what, you know, people kind of lean on their favorite TV shows because it's kind of a, um, yeah, something they can depend on. So, so just, uh, yeah, maybe we'll kind of cover some of this stuff. And you also have a, 
you have a is it relatively new book the method methodology of possession um relatively it was november last year okay so that, yeah that's yeah. pretty new so, like i've already i've already moved on it's crazy yeah yeah like, that's, like, that just i sort of forgot i was like oh yeah book. <laughs> so yeah. yeah these you know but it's fairly new okay okay I've, I've i've started it but i'm not into it enough to really endorse or disparage it at this point but um i'm looking forward to it uh all right so your favorite tv show is uh well working back from three to, to one uh, the walking dead seasons one through three uh fargo season one coming in at two and then true detective and uh so yeah this is actually a little bit of a re-record so you were saying that you really you're not a tv guy but you you listen to things when they get kind of no, pushed no, on you it's actually it's good it's good that we re-recorded because i think i can like now realize what i'm trying to say tv like watching tv isn't a hobby for me so like when i'm i don't just think oh, i'll just watch some tv to like kill, kill some time so when i watch something like true detective fargo and walking dead true detective fargo were recommended to me that's why i sat down and watched them so it's like it's like it's like a you know someone recommending a book if 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 the creation is good then i'll spend time um you know uh consuming it or taking it in or whatever walking dead's a bit different like as i was saying uh i actually when i was really young whenever those first came out i got them just happened to buy them because they look cool within a month of them coming out in the uk which is really strange to me that it's like this huge thing now um and so what it has this nostalgic factor to me because i remember walking dead being on like channel five in the uk which was um you know just this sort of i don't know not a huge channel um and i the reason i say one to three is because seasons one through two frank darabont directed who's the director of shawshank redemption and some other great films and like it's really unfortunate that it's almost like the game of thrones thrones thing is that those early seasons are actually seriously good uh, character studies and studies of a small group going under the stresses of, uh, you know, an apocalyptic or stressful situation such as a zombie apocalypse. Um, and then, you know, so season three onwards, it just tapers into a basically a sitcom. But before that, it's actually genuinely great television. And they, they took a lot of risks, which TV doesn't really take anymore. Like if you watch season two of The Walking Dead, some of those episodes are just people chatting. And this is meant to be like an action-packed zombie, some zombie apocalypse TV show. And there's like there's episodes in season two where I think you see like one zombie, and you know it's actually great for character studies. Um, as for Fargo and True Detective, I don't have to sort of not that I feel I have to defend my picks, but um, Fargo and True, De- True Detective, I don't really have to defend as much. Like my reason for adoring Fargo season one is uh, you know the character Lorn Malvo, who played by Billy Bob Thornton, who I think just is like the epitome of that. Um, that trope in TV shows where like a character is basically the devil and it's pure evil. And I think he does it so well. Um, and through detective season one, it's just, it's just a masterpiece and same reason um, Nick land sort of adored it. I mean, that's how I came across it is land recommended it. And it's like the, uh, he, what he writes is true. Like the amount of um, extremely complex and deep philosophical and uh, weird lit like Lovecraft references in it. Uh, Robert Chambers as well, the King in yellow. The, the, these are things I, never expected to see on a mainstream tv show so that was you know especially something with like woody harrelson and so that was pretty astounding and alongside that it's just an absolute um masterpiece of pessimism other than the last um five minutes which is unfortunate they went down the that that route and anyone who's watched it will think that actually one of the things that happens isn't really in 
the, the, the character of one of the main characters. But there we go. So yeah, that's my like TV picks. All right. Yeah. No, it is funny because, and it's it's interesting that I, I I was I was listening to like I don't know it was like a watch podcast or like a sports podcast, <laughs> and the guy was like heavy. You could tell that he was a pretty, um, you know, whatever, pretty pretty normy dude, and he was pushing heavy this Robert Chambers like short story you know, that he had gotten turned on to because of the uh, true detective. And, uh, and I, I, I meant to, I meant to read it. I, I was, I swear it was one of those things where I started it or something on PDF and then I lost the PDF and then, yeah, never came back to it, but, but just that it could so quickly permeate the culture. Um, and then you're, you're overrated, which I'm not going to challenge you that much on, but, but I, but I'm here. I'm still curious to hear what your take yeah, so my overrated one is Stranger Things, which again, um, I really like that. that to be honest, you know, it's a guilty, a guilty pleasure in a way. The stuff that does that eighties, um, you know, like retro callbacks to the eighties or seventies or whatever. A lot of that stuff's usually well done, and all the synth stuff's quite cool. Um, but there was something about Stranger Things which was almost like an abuse of um, abuse of using an era um to the point where like you, you i mean it's interesting it's almost like a sean bojar study of what a simulacrum is because it's like am i you know someone who wasn't in, alive in the 80s it's like stranger things is interesting in the sense of, am i actually dealing with the 80s or am i dealing with someone who wishes they were born in the 80s idea of what the 80s is and i think that's the reason stranger things comes across as such a cheap um tv show is that you feel at all times actually that this is someone's idea of what they believe the 80s to be um sort of like the ready player one of tv shows um and yeah something just doesn't sit right about it. and i mean i remember season one being okay like as a something and then i, I think i watched season two and three because i was I, you know sunk cost i guess i wanted to see what they do with it and um yeah it just it could have been great it could have been you know, I remember watching season one thinking, actually, this this could be good. And then, I don't know, it basically did the same thing as Walking Dead and it sort of bit its own tail and just became a mimicry of itself, um, which I think it happens to a lot. Basically, it's like when there's, you know, something's thrown into the cultural mainstream so violently that all its lovable tropes and all its hateable tropes are exacerbated for the sake of drawing in the readers even more you know those characters that had a bit of screen time that everyone loved in season one they go oh my god they love these characters like we've got to you know they've got to do this a million times more and eventually it's like okay that's it's a bit it's like stupid now um which happens happens with a lot of tv shows i guess sure yeah it's got it's a tough thing to tough thing to pull off i just want i i i'm a little bit gratified that you're a little bit you're actually pretty nice to it compared to like when I see it, but you know, you're saying it's just overrated. It's not absolute garbage because I came to, I put it off forever. Cause I was like, oh, I don't care about kids. I don't want to watch a TV show about kids. You know? So I was probably like the last person to watch season one. And then I really, I really enjoyed it. And, and compared to, you know, the other options compared it's, to Star, Star Wars. It's, no, it's not that great, but compared mm. to the other options that are out there for TV. I think the problem is, is in, it's enjoyable. Like McDonald's is enjoyable. Um, and, sure. But as long as long as things remember that they are the McDonald's, then it's fine. It's like don't try to do more. And I think maybe that was the problem. Season one is like, oh, this is kind of super fun, bit of action, yeah. a bit of gimmicky eighties. And then um, 
it did that thing where it's like McDonald's trying to be like more than it is. And it's like, don't do that. Right. You gotta, you gotta yeah. choose. Uh, and when you don't choose, it's a bit jarring. So yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's, as you say, it's enjoyable, but then it's one of those things afterwards you think, what did I really you know, get out of? <laughs> yeah. I really like when they come back over the top with the same thing in season two or something that you just kind of feel like you've been had a little bit. Um, mm, mm, mm. And then maybe that's what sours uh, you on it. Um, cool. Okay. So, and now we're, now we're onto the, we're onto the main course, um, <laughs> which we, we spent kind of a little bit more time on those than I like just because. Oh, I, okay. No, no. Cause I, no, cause I, 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 I like, I, I wanted to get, I like listening to you talk. I'm used to listening to you talk. What can I say? <laughs> um, uh, the hidden gems. And so I, because of that, uh, uh, second, some, the second episode of jitters, I totally forgot my little, um, cute, maybe kind of annoying warm-up questions. Uh, you don't strike me as much of a perfume guy, James. Am I wrong? Are you wearing a scent this evening? I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got. I couldn't tell you what I, I've got. Um, you're not wearing it right now. Yeah, I had to. You, yeah, I mean, the problem is, it's like I usually put it on. I'm a fairly sweaty person. Otherwise, like yeah. I'm, I'm British, and we, <laughs> we, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I'm British. It's meant to mean there. Um, I have three. I have three. I do like nice colognes. I do. I, okay, I like, nice, I like nice, nice things. Oh, man. I can. One is the one that one I bought because someone told me JFK wears it. And I remember seeing a picture of JFK and I was like, oh, that's, Jesus. That, that's a guy I'd ever call. And it's really nice. It's my probably my favorite one. Uh, it's called like 19. You have to look it up. Like nine, It's called like an, it's like a number 1577 or something like that. I think oh, that's four, it. 1477? It's not, it's not the, it's not the like a green and gold bottle, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Four seven one one, four seven one one. Sure, yeah, no, that's like a. I think German, that's it. I think that's, that's like it. one of the oldest ones that exists, and it's Hang um. On. Let me like. You're just supposed yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. You're just supposed to keep that, but I think by your bathroom sink and just splash it's it on all like, the time. Oh, okay. This, this is showing like how. Uh, and then the other one is um. Obsession. Which I got Obsession. on, on okay. uh, yep, I got that on offer. Um, okay. It's like usually 60 quid and then it's 20. And I was like, actually, this one's all right. And then the one I wear like most of the time is uh, uh, Man Blue Spirit by Zara. Okay. Which I'm is like, a, I, yeah, I think Zara might be mostly British. Uh, but you Spanish, know, Spanish, right? Yeah. But yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Cool. My, girl, my, my girlfriend got me that. Sorry. okay all right well that, hey that that went off like gang but um yeah but um i would i would like i will admit like in terms of i only use like dove basic soap bars uh for for other washing and my deodorant is like a it's like a reusable stick so this is like as fancy as i get right there's no sure yeah no 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 yeah other no, than that's... that i'm like an old man yeah, no, it's just something that I, I'm trying to uh, do my part to, to normalize. And, and also something that um, I got into the this uh, Perfume Nationalist Guys podcast kind of over COVID. And um, and so I've, I've gone from somebody who thought that perfumes were really stupid and that and that you were like a, almost like a bad person if you bought cologne to uh, now I've got a collection and my wife just has to sigh every time a new well, one I comes wanna, in the mail. One of the, well, yeah, one of the things I want to do though is because I think a lot, what a lot of people don't realize about cologne is that you need to, if you got serious, if you get serious into it, right, you need to go get your your uh, skin, what you excrete in terms of oils, 
Mm -hmm. certain clones work best so you need to be like almost tested and then there's certain clones which will work best for you because like sometimes i'll put on you know if we go out and test them i'll put some on and then like by the time i'm home they're, they're non-existent whereas other ones you know sometimes people walk past and you think man that person smells good and not you know and i always thought i never do and that apparently is the reason mm -hmm. why is that you put some ones on and your body oils or whatever like totally just don't work with it so yeah i i forget i i was like i want to say like when we had just refreshed off the boat here in like 2012 and didn't have anything to do with it i forget i don't know why i was like up i don't know what i was doing i did i was going to like knees den or something like for ikea or something i don't, I don't know but i there was a guy and he smelled really good on the tube and it just blew me away and i still regret not asking what he was wearing but um yeah, I don't you, see that's so frowned upon. It's frowned upon in the UK as well. And I feel like you should be able to. It's the same as being like, you know, even wash your jacket, you'd feel awkward. But it's like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. I guess smelling is like you're admitting that you're you're smelling that person right then. Yeah, but now I'm just. But that's what, that's what they yeah, want. That's what. Yeah, no, That's sure. what I say to them. This is what you want. This is what you want. That's why you put it on. You wanted me yeah. to smell yeah, you. Yeah, no, but I think I would now. But I was just too shy back then. But. Uh, yeah. But uh, so I am I am wearing what I got for Christmas is Chanel and Teus, mm -hmm. which is kind of like the safe. He recommends like a lot of like 80s female fragrances for men and really strong, like almost like black magic stuff. Not 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 actual black, but but uh, there's one like Machine Noir. But so I'm, this is a very safe pick by me, but it's actually probably one of my least favorites. But uh, I just thought I'd try it. Yeah. Anyhow, um, so good chat. And then my second warm-up question, which is, is, I think, is, I don't know, I'll be interested to see your take on this because as you have spoken about so many other authors, and I don't think you've ever really brought up this guy and, and uh, you know, whatever, let me have it with both barrels if you don't like him. Because I'm not, I'm not necessarily a huge defender. I just, I think I like him as a guy. Um, uh, Brett Easton else, what's your relationship with him? I think it's changed a lot over the years same as brett has like i've i'll you know fully admit i've only read half of american psycho and i was probably tainted at the time because when i read it i was really into postmodernists and really into that era in the 90s era like infinite jest uh don delillo blah 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 and brett easton wasn't you know i don't want to he's definitely not a postmodernist um but obviously he's in that whole david foster wallace dialogue and they didn't didn't really get on so i was sort of tainted by that because because i was really into foster wallace but now um i've only read american psycho and i remember getting halfway through and like i get what he was trying to do with all the brand names and the 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 dense language to explain that really these people had nothing to say um but it's one of those books like many where you think this could have been like a quarter of the length and still pack the punch um and i haven't read anything else i've heard you know some of his stuff's good the only thing the only other thing i know is that he's uh, he's got a podcast and he's had uh, Doug Stanhope is like a comedian I used to like on there a few times I think so I mean I've got really nothing to say because I just don't know I just have not spent enough sure. time either listening to him or reading his work um yeah no I don't see I yeah I've, I've read less than zero and was pretty traumatized by that and and then and then I just feel like he people bring him up uh, a lot and he's kind of stayed in the I don't know he's he stayed he stayed in, in front of me for somehow somehow um whatever whatever I'm listening to whoever I'm reading uh whoever I'm following on Twitter seems to he seems to somehow be as as relevant as any author relevant mm -hmm. not whatever small r I don't know what I'm using there so 
so I thought it was just kind of a good little barometer. And his, his podcast is, is really interesting. It's pretty good. And he's reading out loud his latest book. And that is pretty, um, I found myself really sucked in by that. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't, even though I like collect uh, copies of American Psycho, I wouldn't, I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't think it's that good. I don't think, I didn't really like it that much necessarily when I read it. It wasn't that meaningful. I felt like all the good jokes I had were in the movie kind of, um, and so, the movie yeah. did a good the movie did a good job like from you know i've only read half but i remember thinking like yeah the movie actually would work almost better seemed to work better as a movie something about hollywoodization of it that was actually more poignant right yeah yeah so yeah i've got a lot to say yeah about that but that's not the point here so anyhow the point actually is to talk about uh survivors from 1975 <laughs> is your number two yeah. And maybe I will just uh, be the warm act, warm up act for this. Um, so I, I I saw it. I couldn't find couldn't find it out on the internet anywhere except for YouTube. And so I pulled it up on YouTube and I watched the first six minutes. And I was so like on fire for <laughs> my soul was so on fire for Christ that I went and stopped watching it and ordered it off Amazon. And uh, just because the first, yeah, you know, like I said, the first six minutes were so good. So, what? Hey, survivors. Yeah. Are you sure you got? Are you sure they got? No, I don't, I don't want to dunk on my own pick. No. Are you sure you got the right series? From nineteen seventy. Yeah, nineteen seventy-five, and it's got the, like the sort of almost synthy opening montage. Where? Yeah, yeah, with the passports, okay. with the bleeding passports, and passport stamps yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. no okay. the, the, the credits are amazing and i love the um no i i think what it was was um it was the mix of uh when when she's so it starts with her hitting like some white slasinger tennis balls which who i don't know i never wasn't i've never seen those before but um with this rich lady hitting these you know with her tennis ball machine and then she's just finding out that um you know, she goes to the station to drop off her. Everyone's talking about this flu that's going around and her maid is concerned about her sister and she's not answering the phone and she always answers the phone. She never goes out, blah, blah, blah. And then she goes to the station wherever they are. I don't know if that was a real village or a fictional village. And um, and the she says, oh, you know, the, the, wait a second, the, the four o'clock come early? And he's like, you talking, are you kidding me? That's not the four o'clock. That's the, that's the 1220 train or something like that. We've only mm -hmm. had two trains out from London today and, you know, not that many going back. And so I was just, yeah, that, that was, that was all I needed. I just, was, uh, oh, okay. so, so, so yeah. So why don't you, you, you can take it from there and uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess for those who don't know, Survivors, it did get remade in the remakes, like eh, watchable just about remade in like 2008 but so the original had three seasons um and it's like a there's a flu pandemic which kills like 99 percent of the population whatever anyway hardly most pretty much everyone's dead from this flu um but it's but it's sort of quintessentially british and it's written by this um writer who was really big i think during a time when there actually wasn't that much money going around for tv but he managed to write um a lot of really good stuff his name was terry nation um so he also wrote uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. loads of sort of he wrote 62 episodes of Doctor Who and probably created some of the like the most well-known characters of Doctor Who um, obviously survivors and then a, an old sci-fi series called Blake's Seven 
Um, and like, yeah, he, so he was, is like a seriously good writer for TV. Um, and why I love Survivors is it's, it's, there's no point in it that I thought it wasn't like real. Um, obviously I knew it wasn't real, but I mean, the, the writing is genuine. You know, when people say like, oh man, it's so realistic. This genuinely is um, in a way that you can't really explain because it's you, all the conversations that happen and all the things they do at no point did I think, okay, that, that isn't like irreal. Like other conversations are things like where, you know, where are we going to, where are we going to eat? How are we going to, you know, like where are we going to get petrol? And it sounds really, it sounds really dull when you put it like that, but it's, and it's definitely something that wouldn't be made now because there's hardly any, there's, in fact, there's barely any action in it at all. Not much really happens for the first sort of half a season other than like people just finding each other and, and dealing, you know, dealing with the consequences of this thing. Um, and I mean, like one of my favorite moments from a TV show ever is that one of the main characters, Greg, uh, so this big flu happens and the country's obviously deserted. And he finally finds this woman and she says like, oh, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, since this thing here, I've just been driving around. And I remember thinking that is the most realistic thing I've ever heard. Like, because that is definitely what a bloke would do. He just says, oh, I found off. He finds a flash car and he just drives around the UK for ages. And I was like, that is literally what i do like if if I know that sounds horrible like if the whole uk had died i'd be like i'm gonna go you know go find a mark one land rover and just blast around the uk for like three days and then i'll then i'll try and find some people but i remember thinking like whoever's written this is it definitely like knows what most people would do um yeah and no, i mean there's, there's not there's nothing really special about it to be honest but it's so what it's very watchable if you're into so, that kind of thing. So so given that we've just had a pandemic, the opening credits and the first episode, which I, it's also so amazing and great that, that basically the, the pandemic or whatever, its ramifications are completely played out in the first episode. And by episode two, we're like moving on to what what's the world gonna be like after 98% of the people have died. Um, and uh, it just makes a lot of, it makes a lot of just like interesting choices that um, that really had me like kind of like trusting it. Now it is like I said, it is slow. It's like a it's it's a different experience. It's almost like reading a book or something. I felt. I mean, it was like I um, so like watching your your other your other suggestion um, and every other TV. It's almost like I feel like they're um, modern TV. I almost feel like they're doing like. Um, subliminal messages or something flashing things i can't see because mm. the experience of watching this i felt like i was this is and now i'm dunking on i don't know if i'm dunking on my own pick but i kind of always enjoyed it as a kid on on the public television day. like I, uh, in the 70s right so i was like this is like watching are you being served or something and like it's just like <laughs> such a different pace and it's almost like relaxing it's so so yeah. um so now i've only watched seven episodes but that's because i'm, I'm like watching it with the missus and uh so they're not they're not getting like binged as fast as they would otherwise mm-hmm. um but but yeah just uh super enjoying it and like greg he kind of has a um oh shoot what's the guy's name that looks good in a sweater or alec baldwin says yeah he knows how to wear a sweater when when liz lemon comments uh matthew uh oh, gosh the guy that's in like pride and prejudice or whatever anyhow the, the big british actor um he kind of has that time same type of hair and, and that square thing going on um and then they just have they just do very like believable things like there's two we're following two main women in the first and second episodes and 
the number one lady is like driving her car down the highway and the number two lady comes running out of the forest uh, to try and flag her down. And the lady just drives by and she doesn't get there in time and they don't meet up. And I, <laughs> yeah. and I was just like, wait a second, this just violates every rule of television that I've ever learned, you know? So I guess I respected it for just doing a lot of little things like that. And that keeps me interested in, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of moments like that. I mean, you're going to be tapping your leg, like you said, you know, the rhythm, you're going to be like, you know, everyone's basically developed ADHD these days. With this, you are going to, there's going to be scenes that are like. No, but so, so, so I, I, I wasn't, I think maybe most people are, but I wasn't. I just, when I got to the end of the episode, I was relaxed instead of agitated. Mm-hmm. Um, well, everything, everything's basically almost, if, 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 there's so, if something's happening in a scene, it happens in real time. Like there's, there's a bit, you yeah. have to think of it now, the, the rich couple. There's a bit where they, they, she, her husband's come home from work, and they discuss what's going on over bacon and eggs. She cooks like <laughs> this sounds she's, stupid, but she cooks bacon cooking. and eggs. <laughs> and and by the end of the scene, the, she's cooked the. And the, I don't think the camera even goes to a different shot. I don't think it cuts. No. So you and it and the, the the you know the chat is about like oh the radio's not on. How was work? It was kind of boring. Like, oh, the maid's gone home, so I'll have to cook you bacon and eggs. And it's like, and by the end, he has these bacon and eggs, and I think they even eat some. Um, which now, like, if I'm bet if you went into a you know a TV studio meeting now and wrote, like, you know, you'd have some CEO saying, Wait, like this whole scene is like you know, the, at points nothing happens, but I think the point, the whole point of it was like, you know, n- nothing happens in in terms of nothing would happen when the, the world's coming to a to an end, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, he's saying like, oh, I don't think there was any office that had more than half its people in. And yeah, and I, I literally said to her, I said, wait a second, I think that bacon and eggs just cooked, like it. And yeah, so that's it's worth. Yeah, I think I think I can. Um, maybe you know, I don't know if someone is like has this is kind of super, uh, whatever Adderall up and really can't take like slower old TV shows. I think it's worth them even definitely still watching the first episode. I can, I can recommend that to anybody, I think without reservations um, just because of, because obviously because of COVID too, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this, this uh, and there's all kinds of like, you know, it just plays out with different things where you kind of think they're going to get settled in one place. And then it turns out that the, this guy who seems like perfect that they want to set up shop with and like, yeah, we can really get behind this guy. Turns out he, he's just impregnating all the women young and old uh to try because he's you know thinks we need to like rebuild society like asap and he's and he's acting like it uh, so there's all kinds of i don't know just different different things that, that play out in an interesting in an interesting way and then and then like i said the opening credits with the chinese doctor who gets a virus and then spreads it around the entire world um you really, I don't know, you can't beat that, that credit sequence. Um, so yeah, well, um, anything else Anything else we should touch on with that or is that? No. Have you watched all three seasons? No, I haven't. Just... I've only gone to season, like two seasons. Okay. I think the third one's really difficult to find. It's quite difficult okay. to find generally, uh, as okay. you probably know. Um, so yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, it was also it was also fun because not only am I watching this thing from the seventies, but I had to buy a DVD drive uh, for my MacBook or whatever. Uh, and so I, I'm watching. I have a, I literally have that DVD screen 
because uh, we just have a we have like a projector uh, thing. We don't have a TV or a DVD player. So um, I, I had the episode selection. Uh, so I went, I went first. I went back in time to the '90s or whatever, and then I went back in time to the '70s, and it was and it was great. Um, so thanks for that. So that if, if nothing else comes, then that was a that was a joy. Um, mm -hmm. And so okay, and then your number one. Mm. Uh, Utopia, yeah, man. 2013. I remember seeing yeah. the billboards and the tube for this, and then just always thought it looked interesting, but never prioritized it. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for this one. Did you did you watch it all? I watched the first season. Yeah. Okay. And second, uh, like the second season is better. Like it does, it does everything the first season does. But I mean, I'm really wow. met anyone. I haven't really met anyone who who's watched this who's been like, eh, whatever. Like this is. In terms of hidden gems and the fact that I don't know people, everyone who's watched it is still trying like tell all their friends about it. It's like you need to watch this, you need to watch this. Isn't it? You know, I don't use the word lightly. It's a masterpiece of television. Um, they use a lot of relatively unknown actors who are all seriously, seriously good. Um, the cinematography is like on par at times with like Kubrick. Um, the soundtrack is you. I could listen to the soundtrack one just on its own and it was released actually as a two-set vinyl it's a, it's an incredible soundtrack by uh i think it's like christian i can't remember christian something um the writing is impeccable and the, and the plot itself is impeccable and um you know it got two seasons it got 12 episodes um why it got cancelled i just don't think it had the viewership i mean it's a peculiar program it is peculiar the violence is like anyone who's seen drive or a film by nicholas uh binding refn the, the violence is is along those lines, you know, try to be like sort of um, hyper-realistic violence or hyper-violence kind of thing. Um, I would try, I guess the overview of the plot is that some people find a, a graphic novel, which which is secretly hiding uh, a sort of a cult underground message, which a, a group of elusive government agents type thing are trying to find, which sounds super cheap, but it really isn't. I can't say too much more than that because no, and sorry, yeah, just to stop you. So, um, uh, yeah, for good or ill, or for whatever, uh, whatever this does to the credibility of, of the of the pod, I'm my my view is there's there's so few really good things out there that um, I don't really want to spoil it. Yeah, sure, whatever, spoil whatever the end of Captain America three. I don't care. Um, <laughs> But but I don't I don't want to do the things that we're kind of touching on on these things. If we can still have a nice conversation about them without spoiling them. Uh, well, I think, I think one one thing I would throw in there is that when people talk about spoilers on like those those kind of movies like Captain America three Marvel Marvel movies or DC movies, right? Whatever the specifics of the ending are or the spoilers, you can basically say the good guy wins in some form. Um, and you know, stop me if I'm wrong. But if there is some Marvel movie out there where, I mean, I, I've heard some things about what's his name, um, the guy who clicks his fingers. But ultimately, those those things tend to follow the same arc, right? So it's like, if you <laughs> if there's a superhero film like Spider Man, like a new one comes out and there's a villain in it, right, in the trailer, I'm basically thinking, okay, the plot of that film is we we introduce to Spider Man, we're introduced to the hero. It doesn't even need to be Spider Man. We're introduced to the hero. Uh, a villain is introduced. Spider Man's doing well. Villain comes along and Spider-Man's not doing well for a while and then he beats him. And that's it. That's it, right? That's the plot of basically most of those films. So, but when it, when it like, like you said, when it comes to like True Detective or Fargo or, you know, Utopia, it's like, 
these spoilers are like really specific in a strange and unique way. So, you know, it's not like I'm spoiling a normal plot either. There isn't some, right? you know, the, like the villains are nuanced, the heroes are nuanced. There isn't really, you know, everything's pretty gray. Um, and I guess for a lot of people who are new to a certain uh, moral theory, which the whole ser- series rides on, uh, it will beg some interesting questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, and I guess it's the other thing is um, what did I say? Uh, the in, in Utopia, they they talk about a, a door. I think it says something about uh, Wilson. Wilson. So uh, who's who's your favorite character in this series? Oh, Lee. Lee, who's that? He's uh, like the hitman. He's really sardonic. Drunk. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, he's yeah, he's he's really good. He's really good. The heavy breathing kind of got to me after a little while. Oh no, that's not the that's that's Arby. Lee is his com- like companion. Oh, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> well, he has a kind of a short arc. Mm, yes and no. Okay. Oh right. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, my <laughs> bad. My bad. Okay. Um, no, I was gonna say Wilson. Wilson is my favorite, just because I don't know. I, I felt I felt I was just really engaged with it for some reason. Whenever he was on, and the, and the, like for um, non-Brits out there, it does this thing. And I guess I would encourage you. Maybe I'm shallow, and it's hard for me to get over this hump. But it does this thing that British TV just loves to do, where they just take like you know people that are even a little worse looking than ordinary or it makes them look bad, and then it gives them like shitty lives and shitty jobs. And then it says, hey, be interested in them and follow them on this plot. So I would just uh, encourage you to, if you can get over, you shouldn't have any problem getting over that hump. But that was a, that was, that was tough for me. I got not tough for me, but I could see how it would be a speed bump from whatever for me, like 10 years ago or something like that. But I, I just made me think of, uh, did you ever watch Spaced? And and that, that, you know, those, those, those people were pretty down on their luck too. Oh, I see. No, I see what you mean. Like, it does a thing where it does it just people you generally normally wouldn't care about yeah yeah i mean it, it, yeah it sets the degree of difficulty up there it's like we're not talking about rich people we're not talking about whatever people that are just temporarily down on their luck uh we're talking about like you know whatever people that are on the dole or something like that i mean i think i think all these people whatever all the characters are living with their parents or something like that you know so anyhow so um yeah, but, but I, I, I just kind I of. Mean, I mean, no, but I think it was doing that for the, the realistic aspect of like. No, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's like for a lot of British people. No, but this, no, but this writer is, um, this writer is, uh, well, I know, but I was just saying, like the one guy, he just really has a job that he hates, and he's, and he's, he's like yelling at his boss, and I mean, I'm just saying they really, they really, put, I think, feel like they push. No, no, I don't. I don't think. Okay, maybe it's not really, but it, it is probably realistic. But I guess I'm just saying it's not. <laughs> It's not common in 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 uh in your normal Hollywood TV, and I just felt myself. Oh I, no, 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 and, no! And 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 I and I and I noticed it, and even though in the middle I did like different British TV shows, and and it shouldn't be a, um, it shouldn't be a thing, but um, but yeah, no, I I, I think the only reason why, the, the reason why I didn't watch this back when I saw those compelling bright yellow tube ads, um, was because. It said, even though I've read graphic, I've read probably a lot more graphic novels than the normal person. It's just said graphic novel. Like if it would have said book, they find a book, uh, then I think I would have been 
okay, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this, I'm going to dive into it, but it's something that just the graphic novel somehow even hurdle, even for someone who's read uh, a decent number of them. Uh, so I just encourage people to, if that's a stumbling block, I'm probably listing all of these, all of these really weak stumbling blocks that are just personal, but, um, and, and the, I guess the violence is, the violence is different in this. It's a, I would say just brace yourself that it's it's a it's a school shooter violence. It's a parents dying violence. It's not a drug dealer dying violence. It's not a it's not a um, person falling off a dragon dying yeah, violence. It, when it was initially broadcast in the UK, there was a school shooting, school stabbing. I think in the UK about three days before the school shooting episode went out. I remember thinking like. I was amazed that Channel 4 still ran it at the time um, because, you know, as you'll know, it doesn't, it's not like, it's not like, I don't know, uh, he just walks into the school and the, you know, the camera pans away or something. It's, it's pretty, uh, you know, yeah. you're, you're yeah. there. Yeah. But then even the things that come before that and after that, like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. prepare, prepare you for that. And then also like, you know, they, whatever they they, they follow it up. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, like a recurrent, theme in so like when we get to the favorite I'm, I'm now realizing like when we get to i'm trying to think uh yeah so in the like if you look at the tv shows like utopia fargo true detective and then my like i I'm just touch on them but like one of my books there blood meridian and then apocalypse now and there will be blood every single one of these has that trope of like pure evil you know the evil that just does not care they're like the the you know empathy doesn't even come into their frame and i guess i realized like i i really like that in films and films that do that well and don't apologize for it i really like um and i don't, I don't know why but i think it's just something that i think should be in mainstream media more this idea that there is evil out there and it's not like i don't like films which moralize evil and it's like oh if we'd have just done that like it's it's almost refreshing when a film doesn't apologize for something that is just truly demonic and evil and you know you see that in fargo and you see it in true detective like these things aren't explained and obviously the you know the famous scene in true detective where he kills the you know the child rapist and everyone is you know it's 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 just like a moral decision because everyone at home is sort of thinking yeah you should have done that and it's it's finally the tv show has given you your finally given you your peak moment right because normally a tv show would not do that right they arrest them and then i don't know to get sent to jail or whatever but he you know the tv should had the true detective had the balls to be like we're gonna blow this guy's brains out and you've got it like as a, as a viewer you had to deal with the consequences as did um marty is it marty i don't know it's been, it's been so it's been so it's long been a while ago. yeah and marty then, is uh, and rust and marty yeah marty cole i think um so yeah and then you know blood meridian sort of the same yeah yeah okay yeah yeah it's okay you can you can rattle off the favorites but let's just keep word. i'm the host of the show all right <laughs> no i'm just kidding um but i just i thought it was interesting so um uh what did i say yeah uh the great locations the location so the cinematography is just amazing which i, I was telling on, i was saying on last week I, I love it when there is thought to this like not only is the writing good, not only is the acting good, but, and, and not only are the scenes nice to look at in shot one, but they're interesting just to, just to look at, you know, that like T and C's roadside cafe that the, the one character says, this is nobody's local. This is a roadside yeah. <laughs> uh, thing, you know? Um, oh, there's no point. There's no point when you feel like 
they're just doing a shot because you need to get somewhere. Yeah, just don't no. enjoy the thought put into everything. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the office, the 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 bad guy's office, the wood paneling is amazing. So yeah, so it's just like I feel like they were like, you know, they're really my money was really out there working for me. You know, I mean, they were really trying to put this a uh, 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 product out there that had attention to detail in it. Um, uh, and I, I, mean, so I, I think maybe that, not that I don't really have that much to say about female character. I mean, the female characters are a little bit annoying. They're kind of used in, in kind of like the, I don't know, in this way of like where they need, they need to build tensions. So they need someone to disagree with what the actions of the other characters are doing. So they kind of, you know, throw them in there, but then they kind of balance that out with um, Michael's, the, and also one of the main characters in the opening scenes is a, health department um whatever bureaucrat and his, his wife is kind of interesting um mm-hmm. and so it's not uh, anything but just uh i mean they say and also i can't believe like i mean could you get this show out on the air with even like saying today sars didn't exist <laughs> <laughs> which is what one character says says at one point like and then and then, like, I don't even know, like, I think David, David Ike, I think he might be bigger in the UK than, I don't think anyone, people, I don't know if people in America know who he is. I think I've looked uh, up his, his Amazon page before, <laughs> but they say David Ike and then they say Sarsden. I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, you know, David, David Ike's really into trains. He's, uh, <laughs> it's my favorite. He was in my hometown going to visit because there was like a, <laughs> a really small train station in my hometown. I don't mean small as in like, not many routes go there it's literally a small train station for small trains and it only has one it has one track it goes in a straight line and david ike went to see this small train okay that's like where i grew up so this absolutely like conspiratorial sort of nut job um traveled like miles and miles and there's a picture of him at the station like oh yeah happy birthday to me and he like on his like 60th birthday traveled to he, he, put on, like, he put on like his instagram or something yeah, traveled to the shitty town just to okay. see a, t- a tiny train Okay, that's fine. So the, yeah, he's like a he's like a nine eleven truther, and he's an everything truther, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We don't need to go into it, but no, yeah. no, no. It's, it's, it's like there's ice. many there's, there's there's many people. There's loads of them out there, and I just you know even if what they were saying is true, uh, I don't. I think they just continuously regurgitate it because they need the money now. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, but but I guess the thing the other thing is though is that. Um, what was I gonna say? Uh, maybe maybe it's not so much. There's there's a little bit of no. I guess there's not. That's not that much conspiracy. But Utopia is a, obviously a conspiracy. There's it's kind of a, a there's a conspiracy. Like someone might label it as a conspiracy type movie uh, or TV show, and then the, one of your films is uh, watching it, rewatching it now is is really makes you think about uh, or really triggers triggers that type of thing mm-hmm. uh so uh yeah no i think i think that's i think that's all i got for that so i just was, as a segue into uh your favorite books uh a character in utopia says that uh, the graphic novel is a door to reality and i was uh and i was i was listening to some articles on that uh, pocket app uh, about your number one book and uh where the author said that i don't know the book or his writing was an escape to reality so I'll, which, I, which one which book stoner 
Yeah, so we, we can just yeah. So, but but your number three, uh, you know, what, what's your number three favorite book? Are we are you still um, going to go with In Search of Miraculous? Yeah, even though I, so we're not only we're, we're mixing fiction and nonfiction here, which I guess you did in your hidden gems, which is fine. Uh, uh, but uh, this is so this is this book. I guess it, it has I think it has like three hundred fifty five reviews on Amazon. So just because I hadn't heard of it doesn't mean that it's not popular enough, which I really want to go is I am the uh, I am the barometer for the average I'll tell you what, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll think of something. I'll quickly swap it out uh, with I don't know. It'd be so hard to swap it out because I think I do like obscure books so can we so but can we put insertion in miraculous we could, can we, let's can we just yep. lump that in with your number one hidden gem to not to give that away yep fine and then and then and then maybe we can just uh you have it so you have a really good episode on blood meridian mm-hmm. yeah it, blood meridian is my second one um and this is one of those books i don't like i if i was to ever talk about it i you know it needs it needs more than five minutes i mean that's a book you could study for your entire life um and this is this is the episode that you did when you talked about it am i right you're talking to the person and they were a big fan of murakami yeah getting that am i getting that wrong that that, that was actually one of the most like i've never he he normally kind of just i don't know i i thought that was a great i was i I thought that was very curious because you challenged them on on some of their hesitations they had with what well, I think it was with McCarthy and then yeah. you kind of said and then you said the thing about you know well I think you know whatever people accuse yeah me I don't common. normally do that I mean I remember listening back to that and I don't like to do that because you know it wasn't my aim to make that person feel silly but I I, I, I also don't like to do that because it's like no one wants like they've volunteered their time and then they come on a podcast yeah and I just sorry to bring I, I I I enjoyed it and I thought it made for good radio but I can see why but yeah uh, but you also did it you did it in a very nice way too so even even though even though if I was twisting the knife on my side but um anyhow uh yeah so uh blood meridian sorry continue but people well I'll you know I'll just link to that episode in the podcast and then notes yeah. for this and then, yeah, so I'll sort of leave Blood Marine because it's, it's just too complicated. Okay, and your number one most popular, your number one favorite quote-unquote popular book is uh, John Williams' Stoner. What do you what do you like so much about this one? Um, okay, so yeah, Stoner had this like um, rebirth, like, I don't know, a few years ago now. I think it was 10, five or 10 years ago. It suddenly was, um, it was everywhere. Was, I remember walking into Watson's and like, it was a classic it had been no, not a vintage classic or whatever. It had been like big company, probably Penguin or whatever. Had a, and I remember thinking, well, I've never heard of that book. Like all the Dostoevsky works, you hear about them, you know, like oh, it's going to be a classic or Tolstoy. So you're not surprised, even if you don't know the title. But this one, I'd never heard of it, and I was like, oh, okay, that's strange. Um, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. And then someone recommended it to me. So I mean, really, the the overview of Stoner is not much happens at all. Um, you have stoner who's the the protagonist who basically lives it's nothing to do with weed by the way i'd never read a book about just (laughs) an actual marijuana smoking stoner uh that's just his surname and um yeah like not much happens in his life he comes from a poor family of sort of uh, rural farmers and then works his way out of that by getting into education and i think he's always sort of worried that he'd have to go back to that so keeps his head down and is fairly safe and secure doesn't take any risks um 
and he has this one moment in his life where you could say that there's some you know sort of radical or alternative excitement in relation to what's normal and eventually he gives up that because it's themed a bit too risky i think for him um and you see you know as his whole life is in this book and eventually like it's you know obviously no, no surprise he eventually dies of just sort of normal causes um and on the surface nothing really happens of note to this man um he lives probably the most basic life one could live in the west um uh and he's sort of downtrodden i think and but the real question you you have to ask yourself at the end i think as a it's a very male novel is whether or not stoner sort of just accepted his fate in terms of being like was he submissive and trodden on by the world or was he stoic and you know dealt with the world um in a you know just dealt with it in an extremely sort of stoic way um and i think that's why it rubs a lot of people up the wrong way i mean and i know it did for me when i first read it when i sort of pushed back against it it's because um stoner's existence is basically the one of most men you know men live lives of quiet desperation i think you push back against it because you really don't want that to be you uh despite often falling into that like oh i'll just do the I'll, you know i'll stick to this job or this career or this path because it's the safest and it's the securest um so i think a lot of people push back against it you know and don't know what to think of it because they probably see a lot of themselves in that because they don't, you know people like to say they take risks but they're usually um uh, safe calculated western risks right like I don't know. I don't know. I can't really, but I, I'd like to think you know what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah. I I watched a actually a, seemed like a good reviewer on YouTube. I think I might actually go back to his his uh whatever his reviews again. It was I forget what it was, but it was one of the top ones that came up, and and he was just praising it and um and really liked it. And I think there is a contingent of people that like it because it kind of sometimes. Book, bookish people like books like he lists like oh you know like the secret history and or a secret history and just different books that um really kind of uh hold the the reader up as this noble person or something doing this great doing this admirable deed or something like that i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know if that that isn't necessarily my critique but maybe him being in academia and finding this thing that he latches onto and throws himself into and really enjoys as far as what is it he goes in he was going to be like an engineer or something like that and he decides to be a, a literature professor or something mm, no, no, an academic i mean usually, yeah i'm not usually not keen yeah. on um that like meta textual books about the the vocations of writers and academics usually i just despise them like woody allen type stuff absolutely hate it i just think it's the most uh sort of movies sickeningly and, movies about annoying movies or something. yeah yeah movies about movies and movies about like woody allen you know saying like basically him coming onto the screen and saying like look how smart my movie is like it's the same yeah. thing with like writing a book about uh, a struggling novelist or a struggling literature teacher who's struggling to write a novel right you think oh shut up like write something yeah. write something good yeah, yeah. I'm, sure well, that, I'm sure there's we'll some to, good we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a, we'll talk about uh, woody allen on episode uh the next episode you're on because <laughs> there's a lot for me to say there but um do you like uh, your why do you do you like woody allen i yeah i do i really do i i went to a phase of where i think i thought maybe he was like overrated and there was better things out there and now i've kind of come back to um i mean he really makes me laugh 
I just listened to his autobiography and it was, it was so funny. Um, talking about his, yeah, but anyhow, well, it's not, it's not about this. Um, but, uh, yeah, no. So anyhow, I, I actually also read stoner because a friend picked it out and I found it, it is just so sad and so frustrating. And, and I actually do, you know, like the whole stoic thing. And, and there's a, um, there's a really good book out there. I think it was something like something about stoic joy or something like that, that is, is, uh, so I, that, that whole thing appeals to me, but I just feel like there was just so much inaction on his part. And I think I was kind of, okay, I could see where he was going. I could see where he's going. And then there's a plot point later on in the book where I just couldn't follow his, him after that. Um, but again, I've only read it once. Um, and I seem to be in the, in the minority. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I could be wrong about that. I, I think, it, you know, it's, it's, it is, the podcast is all about what, what you like and what you're <laughs> and everything. And I think I will find, I need to find myself not talking so much, but I think I, I, I will kind of just log my opinions. Cause I don't like it on podcasts when they just agree with the, with the guest or the host on everything. And, uh, and you think, really, you really think that that was you both think that that was so great you're not just uh no no i want you to disagree it's, rubbing it's, each other's backs um yeah and then and then also uh people will hopefully over a number of episodes um you know realize whether i'm full of it and they need to like counter trade me so if, if i don't if i have a strong reaction where i don't like something then they know for them for themselves that oh wow this must be really good <laughs> this is a flashing green light um so yeah um and now we go on to the, and I, I, now you didn't want to, I guess maybe you didn't really want to play my little game on this. You, the no books are vastly overrated. I, know, I, I was thinking, but like, I, uh, like I said to you before, like I'm, I'm always skeptical to do the whole overrated thing because I just think um, it's really difficult to do, you know, discern like what, you know, and also I'm sort of saying to certain people then like, you, you shouldn't have liked this thing. Like it's worse than you think. Um, but I was thinking just that when you were speaking, I was realizing I haven't given you like any overrated, um, except that one TV show. Um, there's probably is, there, I mean, if you're thinking of books, which are like, we spoke about American Psycho. I remember thinking that that's long winded and actually kind of overrated, overrated. Um, that counts. I, th- that counts. I think, yeah, I think some of Thomas Pynchon's works actually overrated, even though I really like Pynchon. Uh, which, which, which ones? Because I have, I've only read the little short one. <laughs> and and and, and I'm, but but I'm also very interested in him. It was actually just today. I don't think I'll follow through with it. But there's a podcast that goes through and talks about every scene in the movie Inherent Vice. <laughs> That's a great film. I lo- I really like the film. I really um, like it, and I too. think the film does a great job of. You know, I read the book as well, and it, does, it actually does a really. I'm a huge fan of um, Paul Thomas Anderson. So, like, he's like my favorite director. So, I see. I, he's, which he's is the most like grad school thing to say i think right? it's you know what but i think it's okay because i think he he's also he i like him because he's like a movie he's a movie geek there's a lot of directors that are just artists and aren't aren't geeky and he is and uh and that's just a really fun uh look, film that looks great but but uh so what what pension is overrated in your mind uh, i don't know if i could select certain books but certain aspects of his of his writing like a lot of people talk about pension but never really get down to what they really mean so i think there's almost like an overrated in terms of the culture around him so maybe it's not his work um but one i would definitely put on the list just to give you something a bit more sturdy would be um 
Siddhartha by um, is it Herman Hesse? Herman, Her- Herman Hesse. Oh man! Yeah. Wow! You, wow! Uh, so let me make you a like, cup of tea. <laughs> would you? <laughs> why because do you not like this? I hate it. I hate it. Right, so I don't. Much. I don't. I don't. I don't hate it. Right, but everyone. Well, not everyone. I don't like saying things like that. But if you go onto the sort of forum threads or discussions about like books which change people's lives. This right. one always end, this this one always ends up at the top right. Like I read this and all of a sudden I had like an epiphany that I needed to do X, Y, and Z or change something about my life. And I read it and I remember thinking this is like the the Westerners' conception of what doing that is, but just never really goes anywhere. And I remember thinking the writing style was clunky. It really dragged, even though it's like what 150 pages. And I, and it's actually difficult to get to despite being that short. And there's something about it that just I found to be, you know, it's meant to be this spiritual journey, like someone of self-discovery. Um, and uh, I don't know, I just remember thinking that actually very little is discovered. Unless there was meant to be a point in that, there's books which do that far better. There's a book called, um, which I came across recently, called Ra- The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham, which is fantastic. It does I that. Read it does that, that. But I've always been curious about it. It does that even. It does it in a far better way. And I think there's far. There's. I think. I think any book about self-discovery should really, seems to me, especially in the West, move away from uh, obscurity. You know, or, what do you what do you call it? Obs, obfuscation or whatever. You know, when people like. Uh, yeah, obfuscation. Like, yeah, like they purposely want to layer things. But actually, I think really it should be more of a simplification. Um, I don't know. There was something about it that just didn't just didn't click. I think. Well, and I I don't know if it was the people that have told you that they've liked it because I think that was maybe an issue for me too of hearing people say they like it before or after I read it and then thinking like I I was really trying to think and I've I won't I will, I will spare everyone reading my Goodreads one star review of it but uh, mm. my main point the only thing I could think of why people like it is because it's about shedding your old self and morphing into a new self and i guess if people have i mean that's i don't know that's what i wrote down that if people have a lot of things that they regret have a lot of regrets or have a lot of thing you know maybe they find that very liberating or something or maybe if it's their first encounter with the yeah i think maybe that would be the thing if it's your first encounter with the east and in first encounter with that form of like you can self discover yourself maybe then it would be extremely liberating or you know emancipative you'd be like mind blown but i think if you've you if you've read anything else ever <laughs> then nice <laughs> i don't know i think i think maybe the problem is as well it's all entered into its own feed, feed feedback loop so it probably is and what i mean by that is like because it's been heralded as this novel of of like Wow, change your life it always ends up on those lists so the people who are like trying to find those kind of books always end up reading it so it's mm-hmm. like you just get stuck and i i think it's one of those books in fact when i when you when i think of the overrated genre i basically think of those kind of books which end up on those lists of people go like wow okay so another one man i could probably start listing them off now but another one would be victor frankel's um man search for meaning right and i don't really want to dunk on it too hard because obviously yeah. it's about his experiences in concentration camps and this is deeply personal but i remember thinking that what came from it what i don't know it just it people go on about it so it's like some amazing thing and i just remember thinking actually there's there's it's like one bullet point <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, but there's novels which deal deal with that topic, and you know, 
developing from it in a far greater way. Um, uh, see, I'm just, I'm just trying to think. I mean, that this. I think so. I audiobooked that, and so obviously, I have. I always have a lot less um, uh, rankles with books that I audiobook that maybe are not. You know, whereas if I've sat down and read it, then I really, I really want it to be amazing. Um, and I actually plan to re-listen to that Viktor Frankl book. So, because um, it's been a while, so I need it. One, like one, yeah. I mean, one. When you think of overrated, I want to. I almost need a name for a category, which is people like crap on them because they say that they're referenced by everyone and they're not as good as they seemingly are. But I actually think they are as good, right? Everyone like dunks on Bukowski. It's like, oh, that's just what like new literature grad students read. And I was thinking actually he's all right. Like he's not, he's never pretended to be anything more than he is. Like other people did that. And I think for what he mm. is, he's pretty good. And then my main one that comes into comes in that category where it's like, I don't know, people like people love to say, oh, it's not that good, is um uh, Mark Danielewski's House of Leaves. Right. so okay so i've been no no so i've been wanting to i was going to bring that up on my own and i because i i forget what else, i don't know if it was i have in my notes here oh so about utopia that that had to be an inspiration for utopia wouldn't it have what's that house of leaves it must have been it must have been that whole idea of like a labyrinthian you you know you end up going down the, the rabbit hole of like yeah yeah i'd have thought so and so you're saying and so you and so you, you you are putting that in the same category as Bukowski. What? You oh, yeah, you're saying no, no, no. I'm no, no. House, things... House of Leaves. You're saying people dunk on it, but it's actually underrated, or it's. I don't think it's rated? underrated. I think it, I think it's appropriately rated. But rated people uh, love to say like it's bad, and I don't know. I think it got memed for a while in a way. Say so Bukowski, but actually, like you go, you know, these these are good things, and I think House of Leaves was re- genuinely really good. And people say about the gimmicks of all the word stuff, and I there's a pretty thorough thing with Derrida going on beneath that but even without that I remember thinking well this is like why do you why do do people feel the need to just ruin stuff it had it had a really great I mean I remember like reading it and had a big effect on on me um and so I hold it I I think I it's quite long so I I don't know if I get still get it's my favorite four-star book (laughs) uh and that because I whatever just take a star off because it was long um so that shows you who I am. What's um, your favorite five-star book? My favorite five-star book? I think I, so I posted that on the little uh, Twitter and I was just thinking about this today. I mean, I really, and I hate to say this, um, but I really like, uh, oh, oh crap. What's the one they're going up the river? Dark Heart of Darkness. Oh yeah, Joyce. Because uh, I mean, because that's also just so short. I don't, I don't mm. think you can, I don't think you can beat it. And it's funny. Um, and, uh, uh, I, yeah, what, what are my other ones? I forget. Um, uh, <laughs> my favorite book is the one where they're going up the river. <laughs> no, they're going up the, no, I'm just saying, I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, that's, a, that you're, that's a perfectly fair comment. <laughs> uh, what did I say here? So I've said, uh, oh yeah, I'm. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying that uh, Moby Dick is number one, Anna Karenina number two, Moobal Feast, and then I'm nine stories, which I could see getting some friction on, and then House of Leaves number five, which is I'm kind of artificially bumping House of Leaves up, but I, I yeah, I had I had really good experiences with those one and two books, and um, 
yeah uh, and then maybe maybe uh uh but yeah that's 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 something else so that, that but that's that there yeah, you can kind of um, triangulate me and see if you want to end the call right away <laughs> no i think it's fine i think it's fine uh, but yeah okay so that was a great that was that was perfect and you know what the thing that you did there where you where you said you didn't like something and then you gave the razor's edge to replace it and said this is what this does better that's that's like my favorite thing that anybody that's what i always want people to do no one ever does it and uh yeah it's like well i think it's difficult because i think you when you read siddhartha is a great example actually when i read it i was disappointed because there was something there was like a kernel of something in there, which I was like, oh, I really wanted it to go in that direction, but I can't put that into words what that is, but it was there, right? That idea of mm -hmm. like, which nowadays I write about it in terms of like exit from modern society or exit, you know, that mental means of exiting things and not having to abide by various forms of conditioning, which when I first read Siddhartha, when I was like 18, I wasn't mature enough to really understand, but like you have that feeling like oh, he was so close to something that could have changed my life but went off on its own tangent, which just really wasn't related to it. And then like, that's when I, when I was reading Razor's Edge, it was like, God, I wish this had been the book that I'd read. Like, this is what, this is what I wanted. This is the feeling that I had when I was 18 reading that. This has done it just 10 times better and actually really got down to it. Um, and I think that happens with a lot of, like a lot of books. Um, they just missed the mark. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, no, and I, I've, I haven't read that much Bukowski and I, so I, but I forget, I forget which one this was, but I remember he says something about looking at someone who's freshly in love or talking about love, um, the, the newness of love or the giddiness of love burning off, like burning off like the dew on the morning grass or something like that. Obviously I've just botched it, but I just, you know, when you're reading an author and it pierces you, um, you know, that's a, I don't know, that's a good sign. So then they, they have kind of a, a enough goodwill with me that I would whatever defend them going forward. So uh, now to the important part, the hidden gems. Hmm. Number three, uh, Ernst Junger's take it Amish, away. Amish Phil. <laughs> okay. I didn't know, to be fair, I didn't know how to pronounce it. Like, I, like even when I started recording that episode that I did on it, I was like, I don't know how to pronounce this, by the way, which I think you like, anyone who judges people who say like you know the, because I, I will have never have had an opportunity in my life to like audibly pronounce that name out loud so when people are like oh you don't know how to pronounce this oh like, well, yeah no i don't why would mm -hmm. i so yeah i don't really you know but Amishville, yeah uh which is like it's really difficult to explain what it is but it, it really is a it's a semi post-apocalyptic science fiction book um by a world war one and two veteran Ernst Jünger um, about Manuel Venator who works for the Condor who is like this almost uh, sort of a, a dictator king of this land which is mysterious event has sort of changed it in certain ways and eventually he sort of wants to get away from it but really it's an overarching narrative to explain uh, Jünger's conception of the Anarch which is like his almost like a third position in terms of politics. So it's like, I've explained the Anarch many, the anarch many times, but in relation to the Anarchist, like the Anarchist uh, sees the political ongoings of the world, um, writes their books, has their ideas, and then they get involved, right? They like actively get in there. Um, the Anarch does all the, the first stuff, you know, they think about it, they perceive it, but they step back. They, they always 
keep away. So the anarch is that position of of not of understanding that you don't have to be drawn into and conditioned by the red blue thinking of politics. Um, that there is, you know, you. No, I'm not saying anarchs don't have an opinion, but the uh, position of the anarch would be to understand that you don't have to have an opinion. And in fact, you don't have to be political. So the anarch sort of renders unto Caesar and understands it's in the, you know, they're in the world and they have to deal with it. Um, but they equally retain that sort of mental space of pure freedom. Um, and that's why that was important to me, because I think it's really, that's something that's rarely spoken about today, right? What seems radical is is always like in relation to the opposite, you know, it's like the opposition of common politics, like, oh, that's radical because it's it's Y instead of X, right? And it's always like uh, always like tethered to things in one way, in some way, like postmodernism is radical because of its relationship to modernism, whatever. Um, and I think the anarch is just completely severing that tether and saying, like, I don't I don't even have to, you know, I don't. I can be radical in a different way and I don't actually have to be radical. I don't have to do any of these things. So that's why that is important. I mean, it's, it's slowly not becoming a hidden gem, at least in my circles because of courtesy Arvin speaking about it. Um, but I think even in, if you knew Junger's work quite well, it's actually quite hidden in Junger. So everyone knows Junger largely because of storm of steel um, uh, and maybe on the marble cliffs. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot of Junger, which is underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, he definitely seems like a, a singular character. And what are they saying that he, well, he was, he was in that whatever post-war milieu of hanging out with like whatever Cocteau and, and different folks in Paris. Yeah, the, uh, the German and, conservative revolution or whatever it was. Yeah. And that he, uh, and that guy on your episode was saying that he'd like, was an early like advocate or taker of LSD and, but also mm -hmm. by, well, being a kind of a, upper crust uh german soldier and, and an aristocrat uh, the last of the aristocrats right yeah so he's, he's a, and so i guess i really want to uh like him and enjoy him and so i as soon as curtis jarvin said on i don't know if it was on your podcast or if it was on somebody else's no, it, it was mine it was mine. it was yours yeah we'll say it was definitely on her no it was because uh he he mentions putting younger in his in my with the hermetics question right three thinkers one so he puts yeah. younger in there and so I, th I rushed out and, and paid 60 uh, quid for the hardcover version of the book. Like as soon as I, as that's, soon, as soon, that's right now. And yeah, so as soon as, soon, yeah it has been, but it might've been the, the, whatever the launched a thousand um, uh, mal investment ships. Cause then I just immediately went out and bought like all these other, I got into a first edition buying craze of, not necessarily my favorite books, but I'm not like buying like Old Man in the Sea or something like that, but ones that I think that will uh, are at uh, whatever uh, pivot points or, you know, will. I always think about that. Accelerate. Like sometimes when I order an old like first edition of something for, you know, and they're fairly affordable, really. Like you can get first editions of basically all of Thomas Carlyle's work, probably for like under a hundred pounds. I remember thinking like these books probably sit sat in these factories. Like anyone who works there must like see them every day and think, oh, I wonder when someone will finally buy that. And then they're and like I, sending, and then it's me. Like <laughs> someone's mentioned it. I, I, I've been out there looking. I'm, I, I'm the other person that has been looking at the works of Thomas Carlyle. <laughs> like no, but I got I got like a 19. I can't even remember the date. It's not with me, unfortunately. But like, you know, it was I'm fairly sure. Let me let me find out when this because I remember being like annoyed that people wouldn't 
Yeah, it's a latter day pamphlet, and I bought it. I'm fairly sure I got a first edition of this. If not, it's a bit late. It was at least like 19, 1870, right? So this was published in 1850. And and I got it for like 10 quid. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. over 100 years yeah. old. And it's like 10 pounds, including shipping. And it's sort of sort of sad because just, yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, he, but he's also, yeah. So that, yeah, that, that. I've got to, you know, I'm going to put that. That's a, that's a fantastic um, episode with Curtis too. <laughs> and I guess, you know what, and actually uh, there's a couple different podcasts that I've heard um, that were minor inspirations uh, for me to do this podcast and just, you know, the way that my soul sings as soon as Curtis Yarvin just gets on and starts rattling off books and movies and I have to scribble them down and everything. And that's like, it's one that's, of, it's one, he's so frustrating for that. Though, some people be like, have you ever read? And you'd be like, the old man, the sea. Like, oh, no, I've heard of that. But he'll be like, have you read, you know, John Smith's 1633 treaties on this? Do you think like, no, I haven't. Wait, like, no, no one's wait, heard of was this. That, was that not, was that not, I want to, I almost want to say, but it's, what's very interesting is when he, um, I, uh, when he, he will, does, like everything he recommends though has been like, amazing yeah. so he he was on some like uh youtube talking about like ethiopian politics or something i don't know yeah i remember yeah i remember that i saw that and 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 so obviously he was referring to this guy's wheelhouse and so this guy had actually read everything that he was throwing out there because it was like his uncle or something i i didn't actually finish that youtube but i listened to probably i probably listened to over an hour of it um but yeah so so uh so he yeah so he's blown this book up um and is it, do you actually, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated with Junger because he's, he writes very beautifully and I don't think, has... I don't think Gomesville very well written for Junger. Not at all. Okay. Okay. Um, had, it's dry. Has... So if you haven't read Junger before, don't personally don't start at Gomesville, even though I think I, it is really his magnum opus in a way, because I think it contains so much in one space. Uh, start with Storm of Steel because you're gonna think I, so oh, i listen this guy's I li- not a great writer but Storm yeah, i listen to that and it's yeah. and it sings and but it's also it's very smooth it's very beautiful it's, but it's also very like quiet for a war book i think mm-hmm. um, oh yeah uh and this is this has its moments and this is good but it's uh, this is this is dry it's dry and didactic right it's trying to tell you and something I, constantly. but i also i'm also very i like didactic i don't know i like to be told i do but I, I almost think this this book really works because it's actually it's sectioned in you know it's like i don't know what you'd call the this formatting style i should probably know but you know there's like an, mm. an asterisk in the middle of the page and then there's i don't know a couple of paragraphs and then it's like split like that right so tiny sections that are closing in on like not aphorisms, but um, I, there must be a name for this style. But it's almost the kind of book you could say like I'm going to read one of these sections a day, and in that is some sort of philosophical uh, lesson that Jung is trying to teach, right? I reading it as a whole narrative is definitely there. But I I, I would 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 say again that if you are interested in the Anarch and that just that that notion itself, read the Forest Passage. That's okay. that reads you know that's and that, I think their package does one now. In because the forest passage is super super short, like seventy pages. Um, yeah, yeah, I have that, but I was so keen to, you know, follow do exactly what Yarvin was telling me to read that I, you know, started off with this. But yes, Curtis, yes, Curtis, yes, 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 yes. Which is which is weird because I disagree. Or I, you know, he, I, I dislike so much, or I did, you know, I really don't want him to be right about so many things that he says. But for some reason, 
I just find him very, he's very, he's interesting. That's what I want. I just want somebody that's interesting and saying new things that I haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it's not about him. Um, but yeah. Okay. So Oymansville, uh, number two is. Uh, Laurus by and how, um, Vodoloskin. And how did you come in contact with this book? Cause I had, it's, it's, I, I saw, I saw it had gotten some accolades when it came out um, from major places, but. I, I had never heard of it. I would. I remember how I came across this. I was research, I was trying to find some fiction which I could read in bed. And at, at the time, I was really into like occultism. I'm really, but at the time, I was really into like traditional occultism, and I was looking for fiction which is realistic. Like it was using it, it, it. You know, it had gone on realistic. Um, you know, it wasn't just like magic. Like someone's firing fire out of the hands. It was using those old medieval texts and i came across this in some thread somewhere uh and then i came i did a bit more research into it and there was a thread of like books people think should be like canonized right into yeah this is like if you know it's nice to think i'm am i reading a masterpiece before it's been heralded as one and this is one of the few few books i would genuinely say it will be canonized i mean it is an absolute masterpiece um so it it's been a while since I've read it. Um, so it's like 15th century Russia. Um, and it just follows uh, a young healer, uh, like skilled sort of herbal healer, mystical healer. Um, and he sets out on this, this journey to sort of leave behind his, his birthright in a way uh, in this sort of, I guess, a journey, you know, a journey book across um, 15th century Russia. Uh no, I won't spoil too much of what goes on, but I mean, one thing I'd say is it's written, you know, just astoundingly beautifully. You know, and I, I don't think there's too much for me to say. It's just an incredible fiction fiction book, right? Okay. So Horror of Horrors, I have, I normally don't do this with fiction, but I wanted to get a taste of it. And so I started audiobooking it. Um, mm. And uh, and I think I can see why you look, like it. I think it, it, it's, it starts off pretty methodically, I think. Does it, does it, does it stay, stay at that speed the whole time or does it? No, not from memory, start, no. And, and the lead character is Christoph or Chris, he's the, whatever, the, who's taking care of this kid. And then the healer is going to go on to be this guy with the kind of crazy name. Mm-hmm. The main character. It's, been, it's okay. been a long time since I've read it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so this is but it's it's does is it is it crack your top ten favorites or is it just is it just one that no one else is talking about that is completely underrated and okay I I just think I'll never be able to do my top ten favorites because one like my interests shift a lot mm-hmm. it's usually an underlying interest and they've sort of solidified over the years but like. I do have a trouble with like identification. Like I could go watch a gangster movie and tomorrow I'll be like, I'm going to order 10 books on gangsters and mobsters, you know, or like I'll watch like an amazing cooking show and I'll be like, I need to know everything about Italian cooking history now. Um, And I'll have a week of like knowing obscure facts about it and then never go back to it. Like, you know, there's, there's some weird things out there that I have knowledge of, which is like, Oh yeah. You know, it's almost embarrassingly autistic. Like, yeah, for about a month, that's all I read. You know, um, I'm trying to think of, of, of exactly, like I know a ton about David Foster Wallace because I was just obsessed with him. Uh, same with Christopher Hitchens. Um, 
like when those, I was, are, those are two yeah those are that's, uh, that's nick land obviously nick land that's, obviously okay i was gonna um, say that's four hours now we've got we're up to like eight hours of other stuff to talk about so we'll just keep <laughs> keep moving past them but yeah no i think if someone someone pulls yeah. this up on amazon they'll, they'll know whether it's their bag or not yeah oh yeah and so, uh, and then, so number one, we've done- yeah, You like wanted a, to tie this in because we were gonna, you mit, we yeah. didn't talk about my, so my third favorite book was In Search of the Miraculous, right? By P.D. Uspensky. And then my hidden gem, number one hidden gem is Psychological Commentaries on the Teachings of Gurdjieff and Uspensky, right? So this is like, this is, I, this is, I just spoke about my obsessions, right? This isn't a, the Gurdjieff, George Gurdjieff obsession is more, it's become more than that. Um, the through line to your life <laughs> what do you mean no i don't know i'm saying is, is i was just so i i ought to book as this is a common refrain you can whatever drink whenever you hear this but uh i audiobooked the in search of the miraculous mm. and and uh you know tried to do my dd on gurdjieff and obviously listen to your episodes on him and uh and listen to some like present youtube presentation to the theophysy society or something about him mm-hmm. Got a different, some different angles. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it just it was, was kind of seen, seen this is, so like, is this, is he your favorite guy? At the, oh, at the moment, man, he, he, his work is, I don't want to say he, because a lot of people get caught up in him. Like he's in, his biography is astounding. It's genuinely amazing. Um, but the, the fourth way, the Gurdjieff work has, has, has no word of a lie, like changed my life more than any other um reading or path and like i now realized actually looking to the left of me i have a, a small bookshelf uh which is now actually dedicated to to gurdjieff books so since i first did that interview in 2020 like i've read a stupid amount like the a kind of amount you'd, you'd want to ask someone like are you okay um but it has led me like it's led me to get in contact with the fourth way and, and you know get involved in in that so i mean so like so in search of the macros is now my favorite book not in terms of like literary i think i don't you know he's a good he's a great writer in in his but in his own right but like it's my favorite in terms of you know people say oh this book changed my life um rarely is that actually the case that people change change much about their life what they mean is like i don't know they thought about things differently. Uh, I, it's one of the few that I can genuinely say in search of miraculous has completely uprooted my life. Um, and a lot of conditioning I had and blah, blah, blah. Um, and psychological commentaries is, is written by Dr. Morris Nichol, who was like a student of Gurdjieff's, um, but also a psychologist and also a devout Christian. So he mixes all these things together um, and, and has as to, to the title would display psychological commentaries on it. Um, and I just found these these texts these are super fairly fairly rare now actually. Um, it cost me quite a bit to get the whole. But you did get them, the, yeah, boy, yeah, yeah, nice. And the, is it is it the orange ones or is it? Yeah, it's the I'm, no, it's the original. No, they did. Oh, sorry, they did reprint them, and I think you could probably get them quite affordably. No, but uh, this is boom. yeah, yeah. This is the real deal. This is okay. the This is they're not, you the open, they're not on the bookshelf. They're not on the behind you. You you open no, they're not. They're okay. they're there. You uh, open the you open the the box that they've been delivered in you get that mothball smell mm. that's when you know you've got the good stuff yeah i mean i, I was looking them up and and they're super expensive and uh i think i lucked uh, out i lucked out okay Somewhere are they, are they like around around a thousand dollars for or more than that no 
no, 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 no. I don't know what I was. I don't know what I was looking. I got someone's been like someone's trying to con you. No, they're not a thousand dollars. Okay, I maybe no, I just misremembered. I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't okay, go. Okay. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they looked, they looked, they looked really hot. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I mean, explaining these two, so I guess without going like deep, deep, deep into, and I, I didn't get in, I didn't get into these at all because, uh, a guy, no, I mean, Goodreads was, Goodreads was like, you got to read so many books before you even think about opening up volume one. I was like, okay, okay. No, that's a, no, that I would actually say the opposite of these that you'd, you'd only really have to read in search of the miraculous and maybe be studying Gurdjieff's actual writing. And you could dig into these. These are really, really straightforward. And it's one of the things that appeals to me about um, the the fourth way Gurdjieff school is basically all these people were really against obscurity. Like they they hated it. It's like you you don't you clearly don't know the truth if you have to like constantly find some complex way to you know hide it in your language and and complexify. I just you know uh, so these are really these are really straight straightforward texts. Um, so, yeah, and so what do you think separates him from being a? Um, if someone came at you and was like, "Oh, he's just the Ron L. Hubbard or the," I can't think of this other like um, mystic type American Notre Dame type type. He, I guess he's not. He's not. Um, you mean what, stop, what stops him from being like the the charlatan? Yeah, yeah. No, you you hear about a lot about these kind of people, and I've always said that. Um, especially with continental philosophers, I always said they're one part, you know, they're made of three parts. They're one part plagiarist, one part originality, and one part charlatan, right? Um, and I think anyone sensible understands that to an extent there's a part of them that is a charlatan, there's a part of them that is somehow like pulling the minds of others around in a way which, you know, they've just developed. Um, what separates Gurdjieff was one of the first things he's, so that the, the underlying tenant of, the fourth way is just know thyself right objectively and objectively know yourself which sounds simpler than it is i guess you know and you know you could dig into this as it's one of the tenets of the bible in a way um but gurdjieff begins by saying don't trust anything i said you know which is which is rare for for mm -hmm. a mystic rare for for anyone but he's saying you know everything i say doubt it and test it via doing via action via you know knowing your own mind um which i which to me is extreme was always was was like surprisingly refreshing because i was like okay so here's a guy who's got a system um and he's clearly spent some time in some really ancient wisdom schools as is sort of hinted at in his biographies but he's still saying well you know i'm not here to tell you what the truth is you you need to find out you know he, he understood you could only find out the truth by itself you can't just go to some yogi and go like you know, he's just going to give you a sentence. You're going to go, oh, right, okay. Like, you, you, it's always going to be a personal struggle because otherwise it's not going to mean anything. So he's saying from from the off, like, well, you know, doubt it, you know, be skeptical of everything I say. And at, and at the same time, he always joked about his position as being understood as a charlatan as well because a lot of people, uh, especially in his day, like called him out for it and said that he was a charlatan. And, um, you know, and I don't think he ever really tried to, disprove that and you know anyone who studied with him was like you know they were free to leave and free to um free to come and go as they please so I don't, you know there was none of this and he's he was always very upfront about money much more than you ever i think any other per religious yeah, person well, what, even even yeah. if it's like even if it's a harry krishna or it's a catholic uh order or something he, he well there's always... some really yeah there's some really interesting stuff about that so when i first came across him i was off i was 
put off by his attitude towards money because he demanded like he didn't demand it but he would always say that money was always going to be like a problem um which i think is is actually sensible because he's saying he's he's working within the context of the modern world he's not you know this isn't some world where you can't you can somehow exist without money which whether or not he would or not i don't know but he he's understanding that um, any truthful current is always going to be there and it has to be dealt with within the context of the world. Um, but at the same time, so he, he did sort of ask what money he could from his followers, but he used it in such peculiar ways. So most of the time it went to La Priere, um, at Fontainebleau, which was like the school or it went back into the school to develop and, and advertise that. But at the same time, like anyone who couldn't afford it and who came to him looking for advice, he would be, he would be welcoming a note open and like one example one one thing that i heard is that he went out for a really really expensive meal with his followers um and someone had someone had said oh well i'll take you out for a meal and then gurdjieff suddenly like steered the whole group towards a really expensive restaurant and he knew that this this guy who'd offered to take him out for the meal had real anxiety about like being able to pay for things and being and, and this was like during times when money was scarce whatever um and this meal came to like a hundred pounds back then for like 10 of them. And this guy was obviously like absolutely terrified. And then at the end of the meal, like Gurdjieff just paid for it. So he's like, most of the time he's trying to teach these people a lessons because, you know, he's probably trying to teach that guy. You know, he had this absolute emotional reaction to his thing with money. And now he's had that experience. He's going to be able to deal with it and develop from it and maybe understand something from it. So I think there was always, there was a, basically everything i've read from him if there was something peculiar going on with the money there's always a reason and i think for a lot of it was with the money was probably the first thought is well let's deal with your material like your material um should we say like hang-ups your relation yeah yeah yeah, material hang-ups and your relationships with with material first um you know and i mean he he has old like psychological practices to do with that so like when you have a lot he's really big on food so he said when he was younger um if he if so loads of people got given a just a basic chocolate most kids would just shove it down he learned like to always try to do the opposite of things so he'd spend ages like smelling it and then savor it for ages and ages whereas like if someone gave him something that was super super like this is meant to be the best chocolate ever he'd just like gobble it down so as an emotional exercise to deal with how Mm. you sort of have a relationship with things um, and in that you overcome because in that relationship is, is some form of conditioning, right? You're conditioned to respond to things in a certain way, like negative emotions about things are actually basically for him, which is why he's very controversial. I don't think picked up too much in the West is one of his underlying tenets is that your negative emotional reactions are entirely up to you, right? Whatever could happen in your life from the most extreme, like mourning to being cut off in traffic most people would understand that their reaction is something like, oh, it's natural. It's, it's, you know, it's a natural reaction to like shout and swear at a car that has just cut you off. But at the same time, he, he, he's saying, no, like you completely have the decision. And most of your misery comes from your relationship with your emotions, right? You're just letting them take you like wherever they want to go. And that's where your misery is coming from. And that was sort of groundbreaking for me because I don't, and I don't think it's anything new. And even he would say it's not anything new, but he is, finding a way to convey these ideas to the western mind the modern western mind and he was the first person i've come across who's done that effectively like alan watts tried but i don't think he did very well Hmm. okay so yeah and i guess the as with williamsville um 
the, it's presenting that presents the idea of the anarch that no one else is really talking about. And this, I thought, I thought you were going to say that he, he presents the idea of uh, that basically to win at uh, existence, you need to kind of be like a, uh, same way you would need to win a German family board game or something where you need to build evenly on, on every, I guess his, is his fourth way is doing body, mind, and spirit kind of mm-hmm. like not yeah, letting you balance, you balance them out instead of, instead of throwing yourself into prayer. And that's the only thing you do or throwing yourself into Jimmy hard. That's, you know, he's saying you need to do all of them need to be in working in tandem. Uh, yeah i mean the, the, a lot of cultures have their you know, it's the way of the oh god i won't be able to get these right the way of the uh, gear way of the, the way of the monk is the way of like feeling yeah. emotions the way of the fakir is like physical body so. is body yeah. yeah and the way of the the yogi is the way of the mind so the the, the west is in you know we we respect intelligence we're just massively massively lent towards intelligence to you know to the point of being so unbalanced because that means that any problem that comes our way we respect intelligence and intellect and and analysis so much that we never think to deal with problems in perhaps a more intuitive or emotional way in fact that sounds ridiculous to us which is why we're so terrible at understanding love right because we just try to explain it like it's this wow it's a feeling so you can't you can't you can't have intellect and emotion that there's two distinct languages trying to explain themselves it doesn't work same with like trying to explain a, a bodily feeling it's only you, you can't yeah yeah no he has, he has i don't know he, he has a lot of he, has, he said he says is saying a lot of things that people are maybe saying now like just now in the past like five ten years and he was obviously saying them a long time ago and then he has i think other stuff that you're yeah you're just not going to get anywhere else and even if you think he's kind of weird or he doesn't sit with you right i think i'm glad i i'm glad i audiobooked that that book and and kind of dug into them just because um, I'll always have that as a frame of reference to kind of compare things to or, or to think about. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it grows on me on time. I, you had said, you know, you put it as your a popular favorite and I just, you know, went into uh, what are had extremely a, popular. It's I had, I had, I had a stroke, you know, because I had never heard of it. And so <laughs> Uh, and assumed it, went, it couldn't be, and it's like okay, three hundred reviews on Amazon, and then, uh, and I, I don't think this is a bad thing because uh, obviously, when her Red Red Scare did their best to rehabilitate her, Marianne Williamson <laughs> wrote the introduction for my book, and she just she has she, yeah she's just like yep I remember when I started out and I read this and it was a big deal and you know she's actually acting like it's the the number one book ever. But she wrote the yeah. int- she wrote the introduction to your book. To the to the my the, to the edition of In Search of the Miraculous yeah, yeah, yeah. that I okay, that I listen okay. to yeah 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 um so yeah so he has he has a uh, has some breadth out there and then I guess a little uh, so I'm actually I'll I'll be doing on my uh, putting all of my notes that I took down into uh, my solo pod app on it but I just wanted to say that um, for all of the other people that are his type of guy. Uh, when Olapinski or whatever goes to his home and he has a really good relationship with his parents and he's also open to his 
his followers mixing with his parents. Whereas I think most, um, most of the prophet types that want to just, you know, screw every chick in the cult, uh, they're not, you know, they're trying to keep their, um, they're going to keep the mystery surrounding them. And they never, they would never think to do that type of thing. He keeps the mystery, he keeps the mystery surrounding him in terms of like, he doesn't, I don't think he ever really wants people to know his, educational and quotation marks background right. um even though there is a book about it called the teachers of gurdjieff which is somewhat i don't know i don't think i don't know how seriously they take it but that that's some guy's attempt to track who taught him but the, actually the point comes through in that book that that whatever the source of the teaching is is always here and you can find it it's a process of revealing and not like you know i found the exact guy and he'll tell me exactly mm-hmm. what to do it's actually it's you know, it's obviously more nuanced. Well, no, but, so that yeah, was why Gurdjieff, I don't think there's any real mysticism there because Gurdjieff's just making the point like, just because you go where I went doesn't mean you're suddenly going to get it, right? It's a process no, of No, I just, meant, yeah, no, yeah. I think that, I think he, he like you were saying before, he, he has a, um, he, he's, he's really weird and, and funny about certain things, but then he's also very relaxed and very self-assured and very um, open in other areas and and like they're saying that like in this period where they were all living in a house and he was like cooking them supper every single night he was the main cook and so like whatever whatever what other person would deign to lower themselves to like cook for the entire group for 14 weeks or something like that you know so he he's obviously very um i don't know just just selfish he's on he's on a different level than your your typical type of uh uh, leader or, or a, a religious person like that. There's, a, that was, there's lots of other things I thought were interesting, but um, but yeah, I think it's worth people digging into them. At least at least listening to that to that book and then seeing where they want to go from there. Cool. cool. Hmm. All right, so that that wraps up the books, and um, and then maybe we'll go a little bit faster through the through the films. Um, Okay. Uh, as I, I think the books were kind of the books and the TV I was saying was kind of the, the meat or we can spend as much time on the films as you want. That's kind of my, more my, uh, whatever my geek out area. Um, but, uh, so your favorites are, uh, there will be blood at number three office space and apocalypse. Now it's a really, that's a good looking trifecta. <laughs> um, yeah. There will be blood again is one of those films that I think falls into that category I put House of Leaves in. Like just it's one of those films like, you know, there's there's fair criticisms, but also like people will go stretch to try criticize it because it's collectively understood as like a masterpiece. And I just think, well, no, it's just a masterpiece, like it's really good. Um Wow. I mean I that's funny because I mean I I uh I I have not I'm not running into these people that are criticizing House of Leaves or There Will Be Blood. <laughs> so know. it's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, no. So I'm just, that's not, well, obviously, obviously this, um, but that's just interesting that you would say that. Um, but sure, yeah, I'm, I'm, I would, people try to be, I'm normally the one that's trying to be a contrarian, but, um, and then, yeah, my judge is just the gift that keeps on giving and how, how that movie could be. Yeah, man, I watched it recently and it's just, nothing's changed. Like in a <laughs> sounds bad but nothing's really changed i still love yeah. it i still i can happily watch it whenever um and apocalypse now I, I almost feel like i don't really need to explain why this is my favorite like it is just critically acclaimed as just an astounding film and it it, it it explains it intuitively explains in cinema um a lot of deep philosophical understanding which you, you'd never think could be put across in cinema but it 
um, sort of uh, the almost McCarthyan evil, which is in Blood Meridian, is also in Apocalypse Now, and that strange uh, intuitive sense of something behind something numenal behind the you know behind the scenes of existence, which is really just pulling us to and fro. Um, yeah, and you you know you also find this intro detective, which I mentioned, and in certain sense you find it in Jung's writings as well with his war as transcendental experience um so yeah did you what did you watch the documentary on it i haven't i really want to is it worth watching yeah i i was whenever i'm i'll go through and i'll look through my and i i'm obviously outing myself as i'm i'm asking people for what their favorites are and what their hidden gems are and everything because it's super easy for me because i'm even though i'm not uh, autistic about anything. I'm a big raider and ranker. And so on letterbox, I I'll be going through there, through there and looking at my like five star films. And I think I have that as one of them, which is not one that I think it's not one that I think of, cause it's not like a favorite, but it's just, I got done with it and was like, wow, that's a perfect documentary. Uh, it's a perfect film or perfect, whatever. What's so. your, what's your letterbox? What's my letterbox? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you okay. later. Okay. I'm not going to have you size me up on air. <laughs> <laughs> gave this five stars, did you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for, for later. But um, but uh, yeah, but and uh, overrated. Is there anything, anything that's really chaps, chaps you out there? You want to mention? Overrated. Overrated. I mean, there's a lot that are easy. There's a lot that are easy, right? Do the hard um, ones then. Do the interesting ones. Well, no, I'd say this is an entire genre of comedies that were like that wacky Will Ferrell comedy, Step Brothers, uh, Elf, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't even really class these films. Um, but the whole genre of just like zany adult, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, shut up. These are dreadful. These are, these are object, objectively awful. And they've actually made my, even if I haven't seen them, they've made my life worse um, just from existing. So there's them, but that's not saying anything, is it? And also I'd say, oh yeah, Marvel. And I haven't even seen most of the Marvel films and I know they're bad. Yeah. Right. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's probably not surprising that I'm on Scorsese's side when he says these aren't cinema. Um, so, I, you know, I, the overrated question is always to try to pull something which would, if I say it's overrated, it's going to annoy people, right? Um. I'm fairly, I'm fairly sort of, there's nothing, there's nothing. I'm trying, I'm just trying to, I'm trying I guess to... when I'm, when I'm thinking of it, it's ones that like make me angry. Like, like I hate, and obviously I don't want to admit that a lighthearted comedy makes me angry or like offends me, but like love actually, you know, that like offends me on multiple levels. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, uh... and so I, and I hate it. I think part of, part of it is not being, being a, uh, being an American and not really knowing how to deal with this kind of British sensibility where they want to kind of like massage every different spot tonally within the human condition and, you know, have comedy and have catharsis and have all, you know, whatever, all these different things. So that might be it, but I'm just saying that's, that's an example. We, please don't talk about love actually, but uh, <laughs> or you could, you could have your retort, but I was just trying to. Yeah, not much of a retort. I don't mind. I, to be fair though, I don't mind the guy who writes that. He's actually those films on surface level seem like these are empty comedies, but generally he's actually fairly, uh, I don't know, fairly critical of the whole genre. So, I mean, it's like he obviously did something right because it's a wildly successful a movie that's whatever held up and, and yeah, uh, keeps. I'll have to look at his filmography later. 
see if I'm trying I to know. I mean, what if you perhaps if you gave me an overrated film, I might my mind might click into gear. Hmm. Oh, shoot. Why don't we why don't we why don't we talk about your uh, gems? <laughs> and then and then and then and then and then if uh, if any come back we can we can circle back just because yeah, okay I'll have I mean, to looking at my gems and looking at like now I can see this whole thing as a as a you know in one picture there's certainly something underlying everything here right so like true De- true detective Fargo Blood Meridian Apocalypse Now there will be blood uh, Laurus as well they all have this feeling of like an underlying evil in the world um, uh, and so- and. Mm. What? No, please continue. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say I've I've pulled it up. I've pulled up my list of overrated movies. Cool. Okay. Yeah. No, we'll go. We'll go back. Go back to what's your overrated okay. movies? Uh, my another year. Mike Lee, Abigail's Party. It's another British movie. Uh, Youth by the guy that I think that was the Italian guy. It's the one with uh uh with uh oh gosh the number one with uh michael kane the paolo sorrenti um strange days with the with uh, jim cameron's wife i i it was so long ago i i think it probably just scarred me as a whatever 13 year old or something but rec room for a dream so i if someone loves that i mean i think i i mean that that whatever I, i that ends fairly not fun so i think that was probably what was uh, yeah, for me I don't there. mind but, that. Yeah. I don't mind that film. I don't mind. It's one of those films that completely does its job, and I don't think you can really read into it any more than then that is there. Right? It's not like a super theoretical film. I think it packs the punch for what it wants to do, um, and you never watch it again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I don't. Um. Actually, a lot of okay. A lot of thinking about that. I mean, I'm. I don't like drug culture. So a lot of those films blow overrated fear and loving in Las Vegas out overrated. Uh, but then I don't like Hunter. That's probably a personal thing because I don't like Hunter S Thompson's character at all. He, I, I just have this gut feeling that in, in, if I met him, he would just fucking annoy me like a stoner annoys me. You know, when you're like, ah, oh, just shut up. Like no one cares. So, so, I think but I would the have film's said well done, but the film's I, well done, right? Because it's um, what's no, name? I don't, I don't necessarily like the film that much. I mean, it's hard to watch enough, but I would just say um, to, uh, to give him give him another chance, and if you ever want to um, come across, I, I don't know when you would have the time to do it, but he has a uh, fear and loathing on the campaign trail seventy two mm. audio audio book that sometime, but that, that is, it's an amazing it's it's amazing, and I think some of his other short stories for Rolling Stone and different things like that, because I I went from someone who that completely held him at arm's length to loving him to death. And, um, and I don't like it. And, but, and that's in spite of the drug stuff, not because of it. So um, just, yeah, that, that note there, but okay. that's a, that's a side, that's a side jaunt that we didn't need to take. Um, so, okay. So your, your number, your hidden gems, as far as movies go, which <sighs> these are not really hidden gems except for your number one, but Butch Cassidy not? in the, Butch no, but Sundance could is hidden as far as I'm concerned. I think that must be because you're a Brit. I, it's, Robert Redford, though, and it's Robert Redford. It's uh, it's an amazing movie. If someone said that was their number one favorite movie, I would be. If someone told me that had to be my number one favorite, I movie, think it was I would, the first. I would be okay with it. Yeah, I think it's the first film I saw where there's something you know. It's a fairly realistic narrative, but there's 
something put into the realistic narrative which makes it suddenly a bit surreal which but not the film isn't surrealist right so there's a bit you know they finally start, they start riding away in an escape and the camera is lord something um is his name let me like look up the film uh, with the head of the pinkertons or something like that um so like basically there are someone's on their their trail uh trying to run so they're the, they're the hole in the wall gang is their name they're trying to get well, lord baltimore right is his tracker renowned tracker uh-huh, and yeah. i'm now looking it up i forgot their names and then there's the lawman joe leffers they start like they track them and they start but the camera shots are like that there's these horses just like on the horizon and they stop like every day for ages and they're like oh, they look and they're like oh they're still there and it just they at one point i'm sure they say like they they just won't stop coming and it's like this surreal thing that there's something genuinely unnerving and surreal because there's a no point can these characters stop because literally like literally on the horizon it's this weird moving horses thing that and they just they do not stop like this you know like if you started to take it apart in terms of like biology and energy like how the horses have you know how have they not stopped but they don't they just do not stop and this there was something so surreal about that 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 wasn't cheap um you Hmm. know um and i thought i remember finding that amazing and then obviously the way that they get out of that is amazing which also uh, this is funny as uh, so i'm you know obviously i've i've dunked myself into uh this tank of all of the things that you really like and so i'm the connections just kind of pop out at me right left and center and i think i've probably forgotten to mention some of them um but uh it's also it's not terribly uh different from the my favorite part which i think i'm actually even not i don't even want to go into it that much but um in in ultimate non-spoilers but in blood meridian when he's is it the apaches that are chasing him or is it somebody else um, remember, so he's right he's writing he's writing he's writing and he's out of gunpowder he's out of bullets mm-hmm. and uh and then he and then he gets out of that in a in a, in a just as cool way and that's, that's my favorite part and that's the main part that stuck with me besides the drowning of the bag of puppies but <laughs> uh with that no but there's yeah uh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's, you just want to be hanging out with, hanging out with those two and being buddies with them. And they're such, you know, they're obviously such great, I don't know, it's the ultimate buddy movie uh, yeah, in, in, a, yeah. in, the, in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so then uh, your number two is uh, the a movie, another movie that I, I rate it two stars or did I rate it one star when I, when I saw it back and then I just was checking, I rewatched it for this and I happened to go back into my letterbox and uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Basically I have like eight friends that have rated it either five stars or four and a half stars. So the people I trust most about movies all love this film. Yeah, it's, it, it's the, gorgeous. The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford think it's uh it's, it was so rare at the time i mean what year 2007 year 2007 man and this, so this is coming out around when did shrek come out oh golly i don't know because, you know what i mean no but i'm just trying to like frame this in the cultural yeah so shrek was 2001 i don't want to use that as a marker but that is a good marker for me in terms of when 
like this whole new like you don't have to take things seriously at all just came out so sort of the shrek culture in the middle of this is this very sincere peculiar western um which is seemingly sincere and postmodern so really like all right so it follows um jesse james and his gang um but and this is sort of someone else's analysis of it uh, which i loved so much that i've never forgotten it which is that it's a film which begins at the end of a film which has gone wrong right so like jesse james should have died in a gunfight he is that kind of character he should have been blown apart and like martyred and been like oh do you remember jesse james then he finally dies but this film begins of like jesse james is basically final train robbery and nothing that he doesn't die um so the film that we see is basically this this hero or this uh, anti-hero who sh- you know he's the kind of person who should have died in a in a in a in a gunfight but he's alive and we're left watching someone who shouldn't be in the world anymore and it's almost like um i've never read it but that rosen rosencrantz and gilstone so like taking taking characters from outside of their structured narrative and it's like you're you're left seeing what a character's doing without his his actual author and really he doesn't do much jesse james is really this quiet person without his narrative because he no longer has the escapades to back up his persona so you just see him sort of i don't know you don't see him do much at all he goes from town to town and sees his gang but there and then the tension eventually builds because you realize this guy shouldn't be in the earth anymore and of course it's in the title so (laughs) it's not a spoiler but robert ford is sort of enamored by his personality and is his absolute hero um and he kills him and it and perhaps i'm mistaken in my reading of it but he kills him for no real discernible reason other than the fact he just wants to kill jesse james uh and nothing really comes of that um and it's just all this very surreal atmosphere of basically these people who shouldn't who have just outstayed their outstayed their narrative they shouldn't be here and you follow them into yeah just into around that i just thought it was fantastic for doing that um and it's also it's also a great uh, analysis of like hero worship and hero culture because once jesse james has been like detached from that narrative he doesn't he isn't anything anymore and also he had, he sort of has to admit to himself throughout the film that he is no one without that stuff he was doing um and the acting it's one of the few films where i think brad pitt's actually good uh, i otherwise i think he's generally pretty boring you know he does that sort of faux americana dick all the time and it just gets great you know grinds on me um and Casey Affleck I think it's one of the first films I saw him in I remember thinking wow he's actually like a really good actor yeah it seems effortless he's so annoying and so I I was I guess I took away that he kills him because he this whole time he's he's looked up to Jesse James and thought that he was going to make a name for himself via being part of his gang and now Jesse James is winding the gang down and he doesn't know whether he likes him or doesn't like him or his heroes making fun of him and and so he's like, okay, well, I'll make an, I'll sidle up to the police and and uh, yeah. make a name for myself there. I think I would, I think I really didn't like it, and and I, I think I wonder if the reason why people like it so much is also because the because of the kind of epilogue or what happens after Jesse James dies kind of turns it into it, it kind of speeds up and it kind of talks a lot and I don't know a lot seems to happen and makes it quite interesting and, and also made me think of their world, their will be blood a lot. Um, 
Yeah, the ending of that is a bit, bit fast-paced and it's a bit because most of there will be love, but there will be blood is set in that small amount of years period. That ending bit is so far detached from that. Like it seems always too far in the future. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean the ending that there will be. I just meant the the feel, the feel of it, and the kind of like history book type aspect of it, or something like that. Um, of just talking about how they go on to uh, you know do a stage play to reenact the killing him and his brother and everything. And I don't know. I this uh, the guy who directed it. He hasn't done anything since killing them softly, which I think was like that was good. Yeah, it was so good. And I, I just saw it on, I was looking on a blog that the guest in episode one recommended talking about comparing that. And apparently that was based on a book in the seventies, but this guy is this Kiwi, Andrew Dominic is, looks like a really cool guy. He's got very long blonde hair and glasses and whatever. And it's, he hasn't made anything. Apparently he's working on a Marilyn Monroe movie, but it's just uh it's interesting that he could get, I guess the, this movie was based on a book, Assassination of Jesse James, and he obviously got Brad Pitt interested in it and then got basically well, all Brad of my... Pitt, I think Brad Pitt's his friend, isn't he? That's why. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, that's why he was killing him softly. Budget's like 300000 or something like that. And he just did it because he's a mate. Aha, uh-huh. okay. Uh, well, they need to pair up for something else because, I mean, Brad Pitt, Casey Affleck, Sam, Sam, Sam Shepard, uh jeremy renner uh i don't even remember what zoe dashnell what part she was in but but sam rockwell i i, I oh, sam rockwell was he's like everything. my favorite he, yeah he's my like my favorite you know what i watched with him recently which i would probably now put in my hidden gems is the way way back i don't know if you've seen it it's just about this like con man no, no it's just this kid and his family go on like summer vacation uh and the kid's just a real quiet introverted not a loser but like just that awkward kid who his parents are complete boomers and he goes and finds a uh i think sam rockwell got an award for it it's so not known i know i was pleasantly surprised by it he works at a water park basically okay and helps you know helps this kid whatever come out of his shell wow yeah i think this is in it as well Jesus, yeah, this is. I think this is one where I probably was like, "Oh, coming of age story, skip." So I need. Yeah, I, it's one of those, I but when you, you, that's exactly what I thought. Um, and then it's one of those ones that actually does that, like, surprisingly well. And I'll, and the, yeah, there's probably nothing better when than when that can be pulled off perfectly. So, huh? Well, that's that's Steve. That's, and Steve Carell is absolutely hateable in it, which is like, you know, it's tough for him to do. He's genuinely so good, you hate him straight away. Okay. And I can't remember that's the awesome. female actress. I can't remember the name of the female actress in it. She's she's great. She's fairly good in, in everything. She's uh, she was in um, what was it? Tony Collette, maybe. Yeah, she was in that horror yeah. film recently that everyone goes on. Hereditary, she was in that. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I don't I no. think I may not see that. Even though I saw Why? Midsummer. Midsummer. I just hereditary just sounds so scary. <laughs> no, it's not it's not that scary. It's not, it's not scary. as bad. It's not as bad. Okay. I, I love horror that. films though, so yeah. Okay, it's less scary than the opening of Midsummer. That's not scary. She gasses her family. Yeah, that's not like, mm. I just, it was just not scary, but just yeah. Anyhow, what's the scariest what... film you've ever seen? I don't know. I guess I'm a wuss. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the the Exorcist crawling to the coffee table, kind of like legs crawling down the stairs. That was pretty freaky, but. Yeah. I, if yeah. someone said, I, they cut yeah. that. They cut that from the 
right. cinema version. I accidentally watched the director's cut the first time I yeah. saw it. But... Same, same. Because okay. that bit is the, the one bit where it's so uncanny. You're like, oh. Yeah, or she never leaves the room, I guess, in the in the number one. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I, I've, I, I probably probably like The Ring or something like that. I think that stayed, stayed with me for a while. Ring. I've never seen The Ring. It's pretty. I thought it was pretty good. But anyhow, that's that. That's I'm out. I'm out of my depth when it comes to anything horror movies. But uh, Hereditary. Oh gosh, I thought I was going to be able to avoid that forever. But um, now, now that's going to be rattling around in my brain. So, and then your number one, which I think this, I would say this actually is, despite the, despite Leonard Nimoy being in it, and despite Jeff Goldblum, who I also wish was in everything, even though I'm sure he could. Annoys. I know he probably annoys some people, and he's pretty annoying in this too. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers, nineteen seventy-eight. Yeah, man. Don't Donald Sutherland is amazing. Oh man, Donald Sutherland. Uh, yeah, I mean, I trying to like think what to say on this because that it it can be read so many ways. I think it's just generally great in terms of like it's one of those films you watch and you think this is absolutely a film theory film you could just analyze, you could analyze and talk about this for hours and i mean really it's it's just about uh body snatchers are people sort of an alien and in a way an almost a malignant alien spirit that comes to earth and slowly overtakes everyone so you know this 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 woman slowly realizing that her husband's changed which can't really tell you know tell why initially he's just being quiet and weird and slowly everyone's being quiet and weird and eventually people sort of have to make this decision as to whether or not they'll just like agree and just be like, they'll just keep their heads down. Um, and it's one of, it's, you know, it's a film really about conformity, about you could read it in a political lens of everyone's being overcome by, you know, some form of ideology. And of course it has one of the greatest endings of a film. Sort of which we're not going to spoil. Which no, we're, we're not, spoil. we're not, we're not, we're not. You will have, you will have seen that. But, but now hopefully but, I, so I, I hadn't. I hadn't. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I don't. So I don't think it's like Planet of the Apes ending level. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So and yeah, yeah. This. Uh, I mean, there's almost so much to talk about. We can almost just like skip it. But uh, I think and it's almost it's almost harder to watch. So I I had been avoiding this. I, I don't know. I don't know why I've been avoiding. I think this maybe like kind of suffers from the same thing with me with Utopia, where oh, there's a graphic novel that drives the plot, and I was just like, oh, brother uh there's there's spores that come from outer space that start duplicating people yeah but i think i think the thing is is that it's one of those descriptions of a film where you think i wish you hadn't described it that way because it's not like they're beamed down they just sort of no, subtly but, yeah appear, they, right right they're just floating on the solar winds <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that, do they explicitly state that they say that eventually at some at some point eventually uh, but what i mean is initially when they sort of come about it's not like there's some scene before anything where it's like beamed in or whatever well, later they, on but but originally it starts on their planet and they leave their dying planet they show them leaving their diet planet and going through space is the opening scene of the movie originally yeah i think so i mean what, I, what the actual I, one i don't remember that yeah i think it's pretty forgettable because it's almost like during the credits Oh, okay. Um, Maybe I thought it was like some other, I don't know. Yeah. And if you're not, if you don't already know the context of what's happening and stuff, but I, so I, but I had held, I don't even know why I watched this because I had kind of put it off for so long. And then I watched it, loved it. Couldn't believe I hadn't watched it sooner and went back and watched like the fifties one or the, which is, which is pretty good too, but it's not the, it doesn't have this, the seventies style and the seventies look that is just so amazing. 
um, and it also has, I think, does it have, is it, is the lead, is it uh, Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark, the female lead? I yeah, think I think same, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's the same actress and like obviously being loving Raiders of the Lost Ark and loving her uh, from that. That's, that's also fun. The clothes are fun. The, the San, interiors of the San Francisco uh, apartments is, is, is amazing. Um, it's got a, it's got some element of, it's got some great element of, even though it's political now, um, it works so good in movies because I can only assume that this is what was actually transpiring, but you know, some gaslighting of her where she's like saying like aliens are coming, aliens are taking people over and no one's believing her. Um, another Nemo actually is gaslighting her cause he's an alien. Ah, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, he's might be a bad guy. Um, hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, and then also it, with the, whatever the politics and just, if you say one bad thing on Twitter, everyone's gonna like, what was it? There was like a, a guy that was talking about, oh, I think I almost hit a cyclist, some, some jerk banker in London. And he like lost his job because he said that on Twitter uh, on his morning commute or something like that. But, um, uh, that's a, that's a, maybe a, a justifiable cancellation expense. Uh, but uh, just the idea that at any moment um, people might be screaming and pointing at you and <laughs> trying to get the authorities um, round round to your house to to root you out. Um, I, I, I guess people could also be on the right or the left thinking that like, oh, my my dad started listening to Q podcasts and now he's 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 a pod person has been duplicated where my father used to be, or obviously on the, on the other side too. Yeah. I mean, that sense, that's that communal sense of like the, the, the shrieking and pointing and they're just the uncanny. My favorite shots of that is right at the beginning where I think it's like the second day. So, she, you know, she sort of notices something's up with her husband. I think he could still talk to her at this point. And then the next day he's a bit weirder. And then the next day, like it's just a shot from her like landing window onto the street and he's just stood there like he's just stood and there's nothing really that weird about what he's doing but he's it's so inhuman right it's just uncanny like there's just a guy in the street just stood like perfectly still and then eventually like later on in the film whatever the thing is they're meeting they're not really meeting but the shots of groups of four or five in the street all stood sort of perfectly still and it really gives you this feeling of sort of dread and i think you know in that conspiratorial way you you enter into that paranoia of like are they what are they do what like what but you have no cause as of yet to say they're doing something malicious so you just you just want to be like what the hell are you doing you know and as you say the gaslighting when she goes to the book signing and everyone's going like what are you on about what are you on about it reminds me actually of one of my favorite horror films rosemary's rosemary's baby where you eventually enter into that paranoia she realizes like you know, the doc, she can't even trust the doctor because they've planned it all. And eventually she can't take a step wrong. And much like Rosemary's Baby, it's one of the perfect horrors because it takes place in light, right? Which is a rarity yeah. in horror that you can't escape it. You literally can't, like in the dark, you could be like, right, I'm going to go and turn on the light and get in that room over there. But, you, you know, that it's just that sense of like, okay, I'll just keep my head down and everything will be fine. And it, it just won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's super well paced and it has has lots of like kind of like different little different little bits that it goes off on and and um yeah yeah it's a it's four and a half star for me so 
Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking at this uh, list. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get an email that says, "Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, you cannot publish this podcast." <laughs> yeah, like a do- a document of. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think that's I think we've covered a I don't know a whole bunch. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess you have do you have any honorable mentions or do you actually or I, I'm also saying. Uh, as far as odds and ends go, just uh, things that you're otherwise just really passionate about that don't maybe don't make a top five or you don't have a lot of whatever. Some of, they don't fit into anything, but you're, I mean, I like have a pull-up bar that goes into the my door frame that I really like. Oh, yeah. so, just, no, There's a really good cookbook by Marcella Hazan called uh, The Classics of Italian Cooking. Okay. She's like my... Uh, my cooking bible okay nice that's quite, yeah. that's, that's, quite what, that's exactly what i'm talking about um what else um i'm pretty big on vitamin d all right yeah man d- uh I, I, two thumbs up for me yeah yeah d. uh and i like i like woolly woolly jumpers okay big fan big fan all right. that would be it yeah i think that'd be it that'd cover it. okay that that's that's perfect that's that's a great that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much, James. And uh, yeah, that's it. Hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, ma'am.